0: Hello, and welcome to the Shay Hits Everything podcast, where we talk about video games, movies, comics, and
1: other shit that matters. My name is Shay, and today I hate taxes. And my name is Kyle, and today I also super hate taxes, but I also hate teeth. (laughs) Taxes and teeth, tis the season. I I don't understand teeth. They're pretty important for, like, chewing. No, um, I mean, like, I could go all gums. Just smoothies. Yeah, just smoothies for the rest of my life. Popsicles. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I hadn't been to the dentist in a very long time, as of this fall. And my fiancé got a job at a dentist's office. So, I was Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you know what? I should probably go to the dentist, finally. Now that, like, I work for the government, a.k.a. public school system. And I have, like, good dental insurance coverage. And I should probably take advantage of it. So, I did that. And then they're like, oh, you have 10 cavities. Um, and I was like, that makes sense because I haven't been here in forever and I'm bad about my teeth. So that just yep. makes sense. So double digits cavities. All I got all the fillings taken care of in two sessions, um, which was a huge pain in the butt. But I didn't have to pay a whole lot because I have good coverage. Um, fast forward to, to uh, or I guess just this past week. And I've been having like a lot of temperature sensitive problems And a couple of the cavities were pretty deep. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I I went and they did like the cleaning. And then I mentioned this temperature sensitivity. And the guy who did my cavities came in. He's like, oh, he's like looking at one of my back teeth up on the top side. And he's like, oh, that part of your tooth is just gone now. Like, because (laughs) I had such a large cavity, um, there wasn't a whole lot of tooth around the outside left. And I guess uh-huh. at some point that broke off on the inside half. So there's Ugh. just, like, exposed cavity and, like, Ugh. exposed raw tooth um, down there. Which, like, I mean, that's totally a possibility. That's something that can happen. So they think what they have to do now is a crown on that right. tooth. Um, right. And I was like, yeah, okay, sure, whatever. I guess we'll figure it out. Um, and... Like, they scheduled me for an appointment, and I think I'm going to cancel it because they ballparked it at $520. So, I think I'm just going to have my teeth hurt for a while. Yeah. You That's should talk to Kelly about money. this.
0: She has chronic teeth issues, and not because she doesn't take care of them, like some people. She takes great <laughs> care of her teeth. She doesn't eat a lot of sugar and brushes, brushes, flosses, does the whole thing. She's on, She used to be on, like, prescription toothpaste uh. just because her teeth... She just was born with crappy teeth. It sucks. Yeah. But she gets like root canals and crowns and all that business a couple times a year. Jeez. And yeah, they're expensive. Mm hmm. I mean, thankfully, with my new job, we just added her to my insurance and it's better than what she was on before. OK, but we still spend probably two to three grand on her dentistry a year. Yikes. Which
1: is a lot of money. That is a lot but of money. Um, well, since my is. fiance works at the dentist's office, she gets free dental care.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so she had a root canal and a crown. And that's why I was like, oh, yeah, sure, crown, don't sweat it, whatever. Because I didn't remember paying anything yeah. uh, when she had it done. And <laughs> yeah. that's because she gets free dental care. I don't. Yeah. So yeah. they're like $520. And I was like, okay. And then when I got, I was like driving home, like, I think I'm just going to have my teeth hurt. This is fine. Mm-hmm. The meme of that cartoon dog sitting in the house on fire yeah, well, saying on fire. this is fine this
0: is fine just eat on the other side of your mouth exactly of your mouth. <laughs> yeah i was eating on the left side of my mouth
1: and then that'll break down and i'll finally have to do something about it right um but yeah also also taxes mm-hmm. very yeah, much so taxes. speaking
0: of being fucked with money so uh kelly like a couple weeks ago was starting our taxes and um came to find out for some reason that right as of right now with like everything filled out, we owe seventeen hundred dollars. Huh. And she looked into it a little bit, and we think I still I need to talk to HR folks at my company and see if they know a little bit more. But it seems like what happened is last year we moved up a tax bracket because I had a new job, she was making more money at her job, and so we moved up a bracket and where they're being taxed on a higher percentage. Right. Because contrary to popular belief, people that make more money do in fact pay more taxes, yeah. and uh, uh, especially so, if like
1: you're right on the threshold, you're, you yeah. just get fucked because yep. it's like you're not even ma- you're making less money at that point because yep. they tax yep. you so much more. So apparently, what we needed to do was to write in additional withholding
0: on our W twos, which mm-hmm. we didn't know at the time. And so now I'm afraid that because my new job, I'm making even more money than I was at my old job. And with Kelly's new job, she's making even more money than she was at her old job. So I don't want this to happen again next year. That's for sure. So I need to talk to HR and one, see if there's anything else we can do about our previous tax forms. And two, make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Because like my thing is that shouldn't be on me. I write on my W 2 my allowances. Like, I only claimed myself. We're filing as married, both working, which is taxed at a higher amount. Like, I did all of the basics that I'm supposed to do. Why would it not automatically withhold more than it did? So, like, if say I used to make 20 grand and now I'm making 40 grand why wouldn't it automatically withhold more percentage because it knows I'm going to be taxed higher? It just doesn't make sense to
1: me. I I think it's because some people prefer... Some people go through zero withholding and they they just pay the taxes they're owed because they would rather have their money for longer and only pay the government precisely what they're owed instead of paying the government more than what they're owed and then getting that money back. Some people prefer it that way, so that's probably why... It's not automatic, but you know, you do wind up with situations like yours where, like, hey, guess what? Our fucking public education system is a trash fire, and there are no classes on this bullshit. That one, yep. some of the most important shit you will do in your life, we yep. do not teach our kids or our yep. young adults. Growing up, and in if this not society. if not
0: in high school, there should be mandatory college classes for that. And I know not everybody goes to college, no, but absolutely
1: but. it should be high school because everybody has to go to high school in some form or another. Like there aren't like there they now at the school I teach at, they have a mandatory um, like personal finances class. But okay. they don't talk about taxes. They're talking, like, budget sheets and, like, how to write hey, checks. Hey, that's, that's, yeah, still that's still more than important. I ever had. But, like, yeah, there absolutely. should be another class about tax brackets yeah. and how all that stuff works. Because how are you supposed to know until y- you do it wrong and you get right. fucked? Like, you have to learn yeah. the hard way every time. I feel like math
0: in high school, I mean, it's the whole other topic, but... Math in high school is a lot more about concepts and yeah. exposing you to advanced concepts because that helps develop an interest for some people, for one. But it also those concepts are applicable to random things, and I think that what we do in high school when it comes to percentages and fractionals and stuff, that's all great to use for budgeting and for taxes. Sure, but an at, like there needs to be a literal course that walks you through like. When you get a new job and you have a W-2 or a 1099 or whatever it is, not telling you how to fill it out because that's your personal preference, but like walking you through the different steps and what each one means. Like what does – should you have an allowance for yourself if you are single or should you claim zero and be taxed higher? Should you have two allowances if you're married and have that money or like there needs to be something about that because I feel like – everyone that learns how to do taxes and how to budget learns from their parents. Right. And, but not, not everyone our, has
1: that kind of an opportunity. Exactly. And not everyone's and,
0: parents are savvy enough to teach them. Right. Our parents were. And so that is good. I feel comfortable going to our parents for financial advice because I know they did a good job, but that isn't the case with a lot of people Right. for most people probably. So it's, it's dangerous. The larger frustrate, like, cause we, we have that money now, which is great. like, if this had happened a year ago, we would be like sobbing because holy shit, seventeen hundred dollars. Yeah. But we have that money now. The problem is we're saving for a house next year. We have debt that we're trying to pay off. We wanted to take a vacation, like a legit, like go to Mexico vacation this summer because we've never done anything like that because we've never had money before. Right. And so now, like, that's just seventeen hundred dollars down the drain. And I mean, to be fair, you could make the argument that. Well, we had that $1,700 throughout the year, and now we're just paying it back. Sure. The issue is we weren't budgeting to lose that $1,700 because we didn't know we were going to have to owe it. Right. And that's frustrating.
1: But this is life. Yep, there's always something, man. Like As soon as you start to feel good and you let your guard down, it will stab a knife in your neck and twist it. Yeah. That's life. Uh, Life is pain. I would rather be dead
0: and um everything sucks basically yeah so Life's thanks a for bitch joining until us on the Shay
1: Hates Everything podcast <laughs> 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 it's, it's pretty on brand I would say yeah no we're <laughs> kicking it off to a great start hopefully uh, everyone yeah. listening to this while driving has pulled over to allow themselves some time to recuperate from crippling depression <laughs> uh, yep. don't don't be depressed and drive folks yep
0: uh so, I guess to get it a little more on the positive side. So, we talked about this a couple of days ago. but So, you have a group of friends that you do like different D&D, Cthulhu campaigns, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's always been a super fun opportunity. And recently, you have been working on... Well, I guess it's been for a long time. <laughs> yeah. But recently, you've gotten back to working on your campaign. Yes. So, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Because it's, it's just like a fun thing that... I would never do. That sounds exciting. <laughs> Why do not, you say not, you, you I'm not I saying I would, would never do it because it's dumb. I don't mean that at all. It's just lot, I would never work. put that amount of time and effort into
1: creating yeah. something like that. It's pretty nuts. Um, I well, okay. So currently, like back in the day, like back in the day, I would say like probably 7 months ago when I had the idea to write my own campaign, I have this Google Doc that's like 5 or 6 pages just of like mm-hmm random notes and stuff about the world building. I have, like, notes in a spiral, like, spiral-bound notebook. I have a sheet of paper that's like a timeline of events leading up to when the campaign will take place. Um, and I was like, okay, if I actually want to do this and, like, deep dive into it, I need to, like, um, uh, co- like collate all this information together and put it in a useful format and organize mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what I've been working on over the past week or so. Um, And I like I wrote an introduction to the campaign um, and I think I know where the story is going to be because I have like broad strokes like the big bad in mind. But I don't think I want them to tackle that on the first arc because they're all going to start as level one characters. Um, And so like without getting to specifics, because I don't know if they would listen to this or not. um, uh, Just basically I have the first kind of interaction with all of them together and then there's an encounter and then there's a a small bit afterwards and I kind of tie it up a little bit at the end and with kind of like a bit of a cliffhanger like what's going to happen next they have a few different things they can choose to do um, at the outset of the next session uh, and all that kind of stuff so I have all that pulled together and then uh, we did uh, we've been playing a Cthulhu campaign the i think call of cthulhu tabletop rpg um which is like dnd but just set in the cthulian universe mm-hmm. um or, or i guess the hp lovecraft universe we finished that campaign like actually last night um and that was a lot of fun because my friend steven was dming for that one i forget what they don't call it a dungeon master for that they call it something else like game master or something. Um, And we've finished that campaign uh, in truly poetic and spectacular fashion. Um, We did, we saved the world, but we all died. Right. Except for (laughs) one of our guy's cats. It made it out alive. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, um, So we all super died. Um, and for those of you who are listening who know about the Cthulhu tabletop thing, it, it we played the Blackwater Creek campaign, a pre-built campaign um, that he like – it came with his – because there, there's like Dungeon Master screens that have shortcuts and like – okay what does this term mean in combat and how to make these roles and how to do these things or like they even have like random generation tables for like loot or encounters or conversations and stuff so these DM screens are super useful I have one for D&D he had one for Cthulhu this particular campaign came with his DM screen for Mm. the Cthulhu thing which is kind of neat um so we played through blackwater creek and actually has another campaign in it but like we were all because he had messaged us like a couple days before um and he's like yeah so where do you guys think you want to go because we i don't know like what's going to happen when we um get together tomorrow night and and we could we might finish it we might not like where would you guys think you would want to go next with this if you want to continue the cthulhu thing and we're all like yeah i think we'd like kind of Plays the same characters and kind of develop them a little bit. And then as or of last not. night, we're all fucking dead. We're super dead. Uh, like, maybe the most dead you could ever yeah. dead. Uh, but so is the big bad. So that's Yeah, good. you saved
0: the world. That's It's like a seven samurai thing. That's all that
1: matters. Yeah, that's right. You saved people. Right. So that happened. Um, and that, like, got me thinking because there was a lot of, okay, what do you, like, making roles for what do I know about this topic? And things okay. like that, because in d d that's a big part of it. You make, like, history rolls or knowledge checks on things. Like, okay, how much do you actually know? And if you beat a certain right. value, you get certain information. And if you, like, roll under, you only get, like, the most basic whatever. And so last night when I got home at, like, 1 in the morning, um, I started writing a history and knowledge checks section for a lot of the large concepts and cities and places like that in the game. So if, hmm. while they're playing they want to make a knowledge check on a certain thing or place then i have that stuff written out um and that's proving to be one of the most time-consuming things i have done yet uh (laughs) because it's like oh um on the city that they're in this is the knowledge they have with no check and it's a few bullet points this is the knowledge they have if they beat a difficulty check 15 and it's these bullet points difficulty check 25 it's these bullet points um so it's, like, that is a significant part of my 12-page document at the moment. Um, but, yeah, so I'm just trying to get this stuff together. Um, supposedly we'll be meeting later this month to kick it off. Um, Sweet. So that would be interesting. Like, I have maps drawn and stuff for the encounter and all that, too. Like, all that's ready to go. It's just like I'm trying to put together more of the world building stuff. So mm-hmm. if they engage with that in the first session, I have those answers for them. Um, so, yeah, that's, it's been a fun process diving back into it and like reading back through my old document and kind of figuring out like, oh, right, I had I totally forgot about this idea and this idea and how this tied into this and all that stuff. So rediscovering all of that has been fun. Yeah, that's
0: cool. I when we were talking about it the other day, it was crazy to me how much effort goes into those small pieces that like may never really matter. Like all of this history and knowledge stuff you're doing like they may never ask. Right. And so then like you have all this stuff that you quote-unquote <laughs> wasted time on, but right. I think the positive is like because you know it, there's ways that you can sprinkle in some of those concepts in exactly. other areas. That was a big thing when we were developing Dream Riders. Like this was our first TV show we were trying to develop and we spent way too much time on the minutia that didn't fucking matter. The positive is especially because it was our first time doing something like that, having all of that granular knowledge has helped us now as we're kind of redeveloping it and preparing for pitches and that sort of stuff. We're like any question that we get, we have an answer to. Right. And that that I think is really good. I mean, did we waste a lot of time up front? on work that we should be doing now, definitely. But (laughs) at
1: least it's done, you know, at least we did it. Yeah, totally. Um but yeah. it's it's a it's a cool process and for those of you listening who are like DDs for freaking losers. Who's thinking that listening to this?
0: All we do on this podcast is talk about fucking video games (laughs) and movies
1: and anime and comic books who who listening to this is gonna be like oh D&D what losers I mean like that's how I felt in high school and I was like a huge gamer I was like D&D is for those like weird pimple face kids hmm. um yeah I don't know like yeah. there's there's, a, there's like a a heavier stigma on the D&D thing Oh I would on, totally like, agree games. I would totally agree from a broader cultural perspective. Right.
0: I just feel like in our niche and, and you might be right. Like maybe people that are hardcore into video games like us, maybe some people would look down on DD. I just never did. Like my friends and I, we never played that growing up. I think actually maybe a couple of friends did do it occasionally. And like they played magic and stuff, some of my friends did. Okay. And I was just never interested, but I was never like, that is extra lame. I don't know. That's just never how I felt about it. I was like, sure. All I do right now is watch Star Wars and read Lord of the Rings and play video games. Far be it from me to judge anyone for doing something else. Like Exactly. I'm, I'm yeah. close to as big a nerd as there can be. I'm not going to judge other people. <laughs> right. But speaking of nerdy shit, let's jump into what we've been playing, watching and reading. So I'll start cuz yesterday I so PlayStation Network is running it's not a I mean they have a sale. But they're doing a special thing where if you spend $100, you get $15 to spend on something else in the future. Okay. And there were a couple of games that came out in the past, like, two months that I knew I wanted to buy. But I didn't, like, need to play them right now. And I was just going to wait. And eventually they'd be on sale and blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, let me go ahead and look and see at all these games. So I was looking through. And they're, you know, the ones that I wanted to get. And also one of the sales, like, um, The Last of Us Remastered on PS4 was 10 bucks. Dying Light was ten bucks, which I never played. I always wanted to, and I was like, okay, well, I want to buy those two, so I'm at twenty dollars. Let me see if there's something else, and so I kept adding games to my cart, and eventually <laughs> spent a hundred and like sixteen dollars, <laughs> but I got my fifteen dollars for something yeah, else. Did. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, so. like
1: if stuff is on sale, and then you're also getting the fifteen like percent back on that, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, the new games though aren't on sale. Sure. But they, I mean, I got, let me, let me see, I got, so I got Celeste, which everybody's been raving about, yeah. a, like a side-scroller platformer, like a hardcore Super Meat Boy style. I got Fee, which is, for anybody that hasn't seen it, it's like um, very inspired by something like Journey or Rhyme, where it's very artistic visually. It's like purples and blacks, and you use like sound and stuff to solve puzzles. It looks really interesting. The reviews have been pretty mixed, but I, w- I wanted to try it. I got The Station, which Vinny talked about on the Giant Bomb cast because he's big on those like first-person exploration kind of in a space game, yeah. and I like those too. And this one I went ahead and got because it's on a space station and it's that open exploration kind of, what do they call it, uh, walking simulator type game, which I enjoy. But it also has a horror element to it, which I'm always looking for games that Kelly might enjoy watching me play. And so, like, this one seemed like a good fit for that. Yeah. I got The Fall 2 because it came included with The Fall 1, which years ago, again, Vinny brought it up on the Giant Bombcast uh, in their Game of the Year discussions as having, like, this really awesome story, really awesome twist. And it's, like, a puzzle-ish kind of game that I always wanted to try, and the sequel came out. And so I was like, okay, I can get both of them for $18 instead of just the second one for 15 yeah, fuck. I'll fucking get it. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and I got uh, Crossing Souls, which looks really cool. It's very, like, 80s nostalgia. Yeah. So a lot of the um, cutscenes and stuff is very, like, Saturday morning cartoon visual style. Yeah, and they're actually but the actual. Yeah, the actual gameplay is, like, super pixelated, like, 16-bit pixelated style, uh, which, again, it's been getting kind of mixed reviews. A lot of these games are mixed review games, except for Celeste, which everybody's like, this is the current frontrunner for Game of the Year. But uh, a lot of these other ones have been mixed. And I just, when it comes to games like that, what I have done traditionally is I don't buy them. And I wait until they go on sale. And so I get them at like 70% of the cost. And I end up getting all of them in like December. And then I rush through all of them. I don't really give them a full chance because I have so many other things to play. Because I need to finish my game of the year list. And that's exactly what happened this past year. Right. And I want to break out of that. So I want to like take my time with some stuff. I don't want to cram everything into the end of the year. And I also don't want to feel pressured to play a bunch of stuff. So I went ahead and was like, you know what? I'm just going to get these. And then if I feel the impetus to play them in the next couple of weeks, great. And if I don't play them for another six months, fine. You know, I bought this game for ten bucks in six months I could get it for eight, but who gives a shit? Like so what if I could get it for cheaper? I'd rather have it
1: now. Yeah, and so that you'll was have my them logic during the summer during like the, the yeah, summer game absolutely. drought.
0: Well and looking at the games that are coming out coming up, a way out comes in comes out end of March which I thought would be a fun one for you and I to play. Yeah. And then God of War comes out end of April. And that's it. Like, the next two months, those are the only two games coming out that I personally care about. So this uh, is a perfect Vampyr opportunity for me to play a lot of these. Vampire doesn't come out until, um, like, June. Right. Yeah, but I just mean, like, oh, the like next the couple next of months. months. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So this is a good opportunity to play some of these smaller games that I normally wouldn't play or ever give a chance. So right, yeah. We'll see. When I feel the impetus to play them, I will. Um... Yeah, the larger thing which I wanted to bring up was, it reminds me of how much I hate purchasing things through the PlayStation Store. It's a mess. Because normally, if like if I'm buying a game that's twenty bucks, like it usually takes a couple tries. Like I put in my credit card information, I click submit. It gives me the spinning wheel for, like, four minutes, and then it kicks me back to the purchase screen. And I, I like, pull up my Wells Fargo account and make sure I wasn't already charged, and so I purchase it, blah, blah, blah. And it usually takes a couple tries for it to actually go through. Interesting. And normally that's not, like, the end of the world because I'm buying one game. But when I'm buying, like, seven games and spending $115, I don't want to be charged multiple times. Right. And so it took me three tries to get through the purchase screen and that is always a terrifying experience as well as frustrating cuz i just feel like i'm wasting time just sitting there watching a bar spin it's just the playstation network is the worst and like the playstation store in particular yeah I, I don't
1: know what it is but like where where i am i have zero problems i wonder if it's hmm. like regional or if it has to do with your isp or what or yeah, may, that's maybe possible. because you're in an apartment complex like the way their yeah. internet is structured has issues like with tunneling and stuff I don't know. Yeah, that's possible.
0: Because, I, I mean, we have super fast internet, and I never have problems with download speed. Yeah, maybe you have like it's one of those a, like,
1: weird NAT secure Yeah, things, exactly. Those NAT yeah. types that PlayStation always has problems with. That's possible. Huh. And, and that know. makes
0: more sense than it just being... I mean, it, it is shitty.
1: The service is shitty. Yeah, like, there but needs
0: to be a fix for that stuff. It seems to be... It, it has been uniquely shitty for me for, like, a long-ass time, and I hate it. Yeah. What else did so, you play? Uh, yeah, so what have you actually I,
1: played, not just bought?
0: Right, exactly. What have I, what have I played, not what have I bought? <laughs> uh, so I finished Assassin's Creed. Okay. Uh, which, like, actually happened, like, two days after we recorded the last podcast. So it's been a minute since I played it. I went back to it. But uh, I got to the point where it gave me that, like, and no return where, you know, Aya, the wife, is, like, Bayak, remember, if as soon as we move on here, we can't come back. Like, it was a very thinly veiled, make sure you've done everything you want to do in this game. Right. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? There's still a dozen or so side quests I haven't done, but I'm ready to finish it. And then I'll jump back into the open world. I just want this, not that I was, like, bored, but I was ready for the experience to be done. I was, like, 50 hours in. And so I was like, yeah, okay, go ahead. And this was at, like, 9 p.m., on a weeknight. I was like, okay, so I got like what, two hours left to play, maybe probably less. It's the final mission. And I ended up going to bed, at, like close to like one 30 in the morning because there's so much still after that point. And it was actually kind of frustrating because it reminded me of return of the king where there are like six different endings. And like <laughs> it, you feel like it ends and then it fades to black and then it fades back up, and more shit happens, and then it fades to white, and the music Yeah, and And it felt a little bit like that. There were multiple moments of, like, you kill the bad guy, but his lackey was also involved, and then you need to track him down, and then there's a moment between Bayek and Arya where they create the Assassin's Guild, and they argue about something, and then, like, they separate... And you don't think they're gonna get back together, and then it flashes forward six months, and then they meet up again, and then they go track down this other guy, and then you find out that his friend was also doing this. So you separate to go kill them, and then there's a big fight between the Romans and the Egyptians, and then you do like, and, it, and then there's another sea battle, and like it's like the game would not end. What the hell? And that like, I think if I was playing it normally. It would have been fine because I would have broken this into like three or four different gaming sessions. Sure. But because the expectation was I'm almost at the end, I was getting really frustrated and wanted it to be fucking over. Right. So, I don't know. It Like, there was a lot of cool shit in the end. Like, you do a couple more assassinations. There are some actual one-on-one battles. You have a boss battle with... A fucking war elephant, which is pretty cool. There's like a chase sequence on a chariot where you're throwing spears at the elephant that's chasing you, that's really fun. And like, there's a bunch of actual cutscenes, like, way more cutscenes in these final hours than there were in the rest of the game. And so it just feels like everything was super compacted down. Yeah. And feels like it feels stretched out and rushed at the same time, which I know sounds weird, but I don't know. It was just, it was not a great ending to the game. I would say the actual creation of the Assassins Guild stuff is pretty cool. There's a little stinger, which uh, I know they have a couple of DLC packs. One of them is called the Hidden Ones, which is like what they reference, what they refer to themselves as. Yeah. And there's a little like ending with Aya, where like you get very much the vibe that that is leading into the Hidden Ones DLC, which is nice. It doesn't end on like a big cliffhanger or anything. There's definite resolution, but also like this is the Assassins Guild now, and it sets up the rest of the game. Um, afterwards, it basically just dumps you back into the open world, which is totally fine. The only problem is, like, and granted, I only played for, like, maybe 30, 40 minutes after I finished. So, it when I explore a little bit more, it might be different. But it didn't really seem like the world had changed at all. Like, the Romans are still there. All of the bad guys are still the same that you're fighting. The Falakis are all... Flak, whatever shirt, sure. Fl- yeah, yeah, okay. The like the dudes that hunt you—they're yeah. all still around. So it just didn't really feel that different. The only new thing was, you actually have an assassins headquarters, and the really only thing there is there's a new shop vendor that sells you some exotic gear, and that's kind of it. And even I went up to him, and I was like, okay, let me look at some of this exotic shit. Maybe there's a new, um, like armor set or like a new mount. There isn't. It's just like the new bows, some new weapons, some new shields, and none of them were as good as the exotic stuff I already had, which made it re- like extra underwhelming. Right. So, I don't know. I I still I enjoyed enough of what I played that I do want to eventually go back and knock out the couple side missions I didn't finish and maybe try some of that like high level like boss battles where you can like fight Anubis and shit. Yeah. I did try one of those when I was like level thirty seven or so and got my ass kicked. So I'm assuming you need to be max level to even have a chance. So I'm sure I will try some of that, but I'm ready to take a break for a couple of weeks on that game, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, I wonder if... Because they they seem to be treating it kind of like a a games-as-a-service where they're releasing content periodically. Mm -hmm. I wonder if Mm -hmm. that Assassin's Guild part is going to be something that they add content to yeah that's possible that would be
0: cool i'd be down for that i I don't know enough about the dlc to know whether or not i'm interested in playing it sure my gut says probably not just because i got so much assassin's creed out of this and it was great but i'm not sure that i need more of it right right not when there's actually other things to play yeah that actually ties in because i've also been playing horizon zero dawn the frozen wilds um and it That's my dog barking. In case you can't hear, and he's gonna be—he's gonna be losing his mind. So I apologize. We have painters on our building, and uh, it's quite annoying. Actually, how about Kyle? How about you jump and start telling me about some games, and I'll go make him shut the hell up. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Um, So I've been um, playing. I I finally beat Dishonored Two. Finally, Um, and I had a similar feeling. As you, when you were kind of like relieved and like really wanted Assassin's Creed to be over, I really wanted Dishonored 2 to be over. Um, I wasn't even like paying attention to what I was doing by the end of the game. I was just following waypoints and like I felt like I was powerful enough already, so I stopped exploring and trying to find the runes and the bone charms and stuff. Um, and I just focused on just killing a bunch of people and trying to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. Um, And that was just more, like, because my time with the game has been stretched out over several weeks, and I think, like, the combat's a little clunky, and because the areas are really confusing, like, and there's no good map system, it's basically your memory of the map that you're relying upon. Um, That's super frustrating and, like, hard to jump back into it after, like, days of not playing it. So I was just relieved when I finally beat it. Um, <laughs> I was so, so done with it. Um, yeah. I'm still playing Unturned. Still still doing that. Cranking away. <laughs> Every couple of days I'll play so I can get another drop. Um, just waiting on that 4.0 release. Uh, yeah, when is that? There's no date on that yet. He's just, okay. he's just still working on it. Um, okay. Although I will say that Subsistence, which is a survival game that I really like, um, it's made by one guy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been like over the course of a couple of years now in development, and he's been he's been adding content every like few months or so. Like there'll be like a big content update. Um, he just announced that he left his full-time employment to work solely on the game. So Hmm. I think we can expect like more frequent updates. Uh, And he just added like a big building update with a bunch of new buildables that he's like in bug fixes and stuff. Um, And he's like been trying to flesh out the underwater part of it more like to make diving um, underwater more um, important and more uh, rewarding. Um, So that's I I might jump back into that. I haven't played that in a few weeks. uh, So I might jump back into that at some point. Um, and my buddy just uh, brought to my attention a game called Deep Rock Galactic on Steam. And it's like one to four player co-op um, where you play as dwarves. And like it's very sci-fi, like future, kind of like Warhammer 40k dwarf. Yeah, thing, like... I
0: think I've seen this. This sounds familiar. Yeah,
1: and it's it's procedural. You go on missions and your objective is go in, get this ore and get out. And you're constantly yeah. being assaulted by like these arachnid... Looking creatures, uh, like of different forms and abilities and stuff, and the levels are fully destructible. Um, mm. So like you can like totally blast away at walls and stuff, um, and kind of like make your own paths back. It's so like the levels all start really dark, and so there's like one class that can throw flares farther, one class that's more like built up and has like a minigun, another class mm-hmm. that's better at mining. Uh, stuff like that so that seems like a lot of fun i think he and i are going to both pick that up today and then he might bring his pc over and we'll play it or something Um, sweet because it's getting really positive reviews on steam it says it's early access but i don't know like what is early access about it Um, (laughs) okay all i know is that it's getting really positive reviews and it looks like something that he and i would have a lot of fun playing together so we'll probably play that uh hopefully later today cool so. Not playing a whole lot, especially in comparison to last episode, because I was not right. sick for an entire week. So. <laughs> right, that's fair. So, back to Frozen Wilds. My damn dog ruined my
0: awesome segue mm-hmm. about DLC. But, um, yeah, so, it, I guess overall it feels like more Horizon Zero Dawn, which I'm okay with, because I really loved that game it was similar in assassin's creed where like i did almost everything you could do and by the time i finished it i was definitely ready to be done yeah not in a negative way but just ready to move on and so coming back to it it's not it's not like wowing me like i want it to just because i still have that feeling about horizon um part of the problem as well is I mean, it's, it's all wintry, so it's like snowy mountains, and one, that creates a problem, makes a lot really hard to see things at times, especially when you use your, like, special uh, vision, what's the focus, your focus, uh, okay. where it has, like, the purple lines, it's just really uh, so hard to see stuff, too
1: much. yeah, exactly, yeah.
0: And because it's very mountainous, it's also really hard to traverse, and it just, like, highlights the shitty platforming in that game. Where, like, the actual climbing is perfectly fine. The issue is you can only climb on the places it wants you to climb, and that makes it kind of a chore to get around at times. And so it's, like, the wintry stuff is highlighting the sameness of the environment. And then the mountains is highlighting the bad platforming. So it's almost like this DLC is like foundationally bringing to bear the worst parts of Horizon, which kind of sucks. Okay. Um it, I mean, it is still... Like, it still feels really good to take on a lot of these enemies. There aren't that many new ones. Mostly, like, they've been messed with and it makes them more aggressive so like they're a little more difficult to fight they they attack a lot more often and and, like more aggressively i guess i did just fight a new boss enemy which i think becomes a regular enemy if the trophies are to be believed there's a trophy for killing like 10 of them Uh. so i'm assuming i'm gonna fight more (laughs) but it's basically he was seems inspired by a bear and so he's, like, fucking huge, and he does these, like, he so he gallops at you, but he also will stand on his hind legs and shoot, like, throw shit at you and uh, that kind of thing. And it was a cool boss battle just because it felt like a different type of enemy where I had to use slightly different tactics. That's right. one of the things that made that game so great is each type of enemy required a different type of tactic to fight because they had different weaknesses, different attack patterns. Right. And more so than a traditional kind of third-person action game would, so... That stuff is really good. Um, so, I don't know. It, it does make it tough because I've been playing. I just came from Assassin's Creed to this. And so, a lot of the controls are similar, but some of them are also very different. And so, I get them mixed up in my head. Where, like in Assassin's Creed, uh, crouch is circle on the gamepad, and dodge roll is square on the gamepad. But in Horizon, those are flip-flopped. Uh, and so there's a lot of times where I am running <laughs> up to an enemy and I want to sneak. And instead I will dodge roll right into him and then he will swipe me and it hurts. And other times we're like, something's getting ready to throw something at me. And I go to dodge roll and instead I crouch and allow him to shoot me in the face. And so that like, <laughs> creates an additional challenge that isn't intended. But um, right. it is good. I, I, I like playing more Horizon. I just wish maybe that... It did a little bit more new, and that it was honestly in a different setting. But um, sure. So in my efforts to take a bit of a break from forcing myself to play some games, and I've also been watching a shit ton of movies still, which we'll get to. I wanted to like just chillax one night, and so I booted up Minecraft on the PS4 edition. Nice. And uh, I just wanted to like relax and go kill some mobs and farm and do all that fun shit. And I forgot that my game on PS4 that I've been playing, I'm, like, super advanced. I've done, like, I have all the trophies except for going to the end and beating the ender dragon. Okay. I've done, like, everything else. And so, going back into the game, I didn't really, there wasn't anything to do, basically. (laughs) Like, I, I could just kill time. I could, you know, spend my days farming and go you know, into the uh, caves and get some diamonds and stuff, which I don't need because I have like 50. So I could do that, but I was like, ah, you know what? I might as well advance myself to the end. And so I made some Ender Eyes and threw them up into the air and chased them down and found the end portal. And now it's just a lot of grinding Endermen to get enough Ender Eyes to fill up the portal so I can go into the end to fight the Ender Dragon. So it's like I have a lot of tedium in my immediate future, which kind of sucks. So I don't know. I may end up starting a new world because that's how <laughs> Minecraft goes. Yeah. It just reinforced that like those fir- that those first hours are the best yeah. in Minecraft. So I don't know. It, it was still nice to get back, and it felt like Minecraft's just like a warm blanket kind of a game. It just it feels is. good to play. Yeah, I will say that I, since I haven't played it in months, a lot of those new updates have come out on the PS4 version, ah. and so and I haven't played Minecraft even on PC in a long ass time. So there's a bunch of shit that I didn't know how to do or like what it was uh like the whatever the wing suit that you can get yeah and like there are new you make potions in a new way and it was just like a lot i felt like i was i felt very lost at first so yeah but it was fun it was a nice relaxing experience to play some minecraft it is so uh
1: you've been watching anything um yeah I watched Bright on Netflix. Okay, sure. Um, it was maybe like, it was like a little better than an average movie. I'd say like if yeah. if an average is a seven, I'd say it was like a seven point five. Yeah, that's how I felt about um, it. It just felt like a, a bit rushed in some places and some of the sequences and the plot threads didn't always connect all that well. Like hmm. some parts felt like they were put in just to add conflict and pad out time. Um, and I, don't, I didn't think they described the dynamics between the different classes and or, like, races all that well. Hmm. Um, because, like, there were... Like, they, they established, like, the hierarchy of the races. And there are certainly interactions that support that hierarchy, but then there are a lot of interactions that I think muddy those waters. Um, and that just made things a lot less clear for me as, like, okay, okay. so... Like, where is this race actually in society in the hierarchy? Like how to like, is there like, is there some give there or is it like just a mess? I don't know. Um, I think it could benefit from a sequel and sure. It is going to have that as uh, yeah. they have announced. So um, I also watched Cloverfield paradox. <laughs> um, I think it was supposed to be like a scary movie, but it was just, that's certainly how it's been marketed. It was just funny. Like the whole Yikes. time, um, and the tone was like all over the place. Like sometimes it was like trying to be scary, and other times it was like, "Hey, let's laugh and joke and yada yada." But then, like, mm. I don't—it wasn't paced very well in terms of in—I don't know, like whoever directed it or put it together, they were not deft enough to handle changing tones like that. Um, okay. So it all just felt kind of blended together. Um, but there was some good weird sci-fi stuff in it. Some. Particle accelerator, like <laughs> yeah, alternate just some nice stuff.
0: Sci-fi terminology, right? That always makes for good, like words, like made-up
1: combinations of
0: words. Yeah, that's some good sci-fi language.
1: Yeah, words like <laughs> you combine two words together, and you know what they mean because you've seen other sci-fi movies where yeah. those words are used individually. Yeah, and so you're like, yeah, sure, yep, <laughs> right, of Got course. It technology Yep. this this <laughs> yeah. does a thing that's good um and then i just i read a couple uh, comics saga volume 8 still really good mm-hmm. the walking mm-hmm. dead volume 28 also really good <laughs> those are good comics read those solid review right there yep still very good 10 out of 10 um yeah so
0: uh i've been watching lost still i'm like halfway through season two okay and it's getting to the point where they're starting to focus more on that love triangle. That is maybe the mean, least interesting Jack, of the show. Sawyer, and Kate. And, yeah, so it's getting to that point where I'm like, oh, boy. Oh, no. But the episode I watched yesterday, and I'm actually going to watch some more today. Because, again, going back to my whole, like, taking a break. I just want to, like, fucking chill and just give myself some time. Sure. It's weird. Because I talked to Kelly about this. little tangent here. But I talked to Kelly a lot about this. About how... Like, I don't feel like I have a lot of chill time. And she's like, dude, you play video games, you watch movies, we do this stuff all the time. That's chill time. And part of the problem for me is mindset. Because I'm doing it, I mean, and I'm enjoying it, but a lot of why I'm doing it is I feel like I have to. Right. And I put a time limit on it, and if I'm not 100% enjoying it, I feel like I need to move on because there's so much other stuff. And that puts this undue pressure on myself that really impacts my ability to enjoy things. Anyway, so Lost is such an easy show to just put on and watch two or three episodes, and, like, I enjoy the fun, stupid mystery, and that's just a really fun thing to do. So, them focusing more on the relationship. Fuck that. Right. But the episode I watched yesterday, they introduced... Shit, I don't remember the character's name because they haven't said his name yet on the show, but the leader of the others... The small, balding dude with the big yeah. eyes who's, like, the leader of the Others that's yeah. been on the island. I don't remember his name. But they introduced him. And I completely forgot that they introduced him so early on in the show. Right. But, like, you don't know who he is at the time. And that dude is fantastic so as good. this character. And so I'm, like, that reinvigorated my interest a little bit because I just enjoy watching him act. Yeah, he drives There's a, a moment, lot of
1: the like yeah. the mid to later seasons.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In this episode, because like every episode focuses on one character and it does the flashbacks and that kind of thing, which is a pretty trite uh, cliche of a mechanic to teach you about characters that Lost uses in literally every episode. Right? Well, it was but because they one, didn't know anything about yeah, any of the characters. Up right? Front they were just making it up as they went along. Uh, but this one focused on Saeed. and in because so they 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 get this dude. And they don't know if they can trust him or not. And so Saeed, like, puts him in a room and is, like, torturing him. And there's a really intense moment where Saeed's beating the shit out of this guy. Because this is after um, Shannon died, the, like, rich chick who was super fucking annoying that he fell in love with for inexplicable reasons. Yeah, thank God. This is after she died. Yeah. And so he's, like, heartbroken about it. And this dude is. I'm going to call him Edwin because I don't remember his name. And so I'm just going to call him Edwin. And so Edwin is we know now having seen the show that he isn't that he's lying but his whole story is like him and his wife were in an air balloon they crashed they were trying to survive his wife got sick and died and so he just buried her and that's how he got discovered as he was wandering through the wilderness and Saeed's like okay like where did you bury her like how long did it take you how deep and the guy's like, well, I don't remember, I don't remember. And Saeed's, like, beating the shit out of him. And his whole, he's like, you would fucking remember this. Because I just did this. The woman that I love, I just buried. I know exactly how many shovelfuls of dirt I had. I know exactly how many minutes it took. I know exactly how it felt and, all, like, all this description... And so he's, like, laying into this guy. Like, he's going to kill him. Jack pulls him off. They leave, whatever. Said looks back over at the guy. And the guy is, like... Because the whole time he's professing his innocence. He's like, why are you doing this? Leave me alone. I'm sorry. I don't know. And they have this little moment... Said's like, I don't believe you. You are one of the others. I know you are, even though I don't have evidence, I know you are. And they have this little moment, and like you see the Edwin's face and just the subtext there yeah. of like shock, but also kind of impressed and also like evil almost. Like he like Edwin knows that Saeed knows that Edwin knows that he's lying. Like right. that kind of moment, it was just a really cool yeah. acting moment that I really liked. Yeah. And then um Kate got mad at Jack because <laughs> Jack's being mean after they kissed and <laughs> who gives a shit? Uh, so yeah, that's lost. It's it's getting to, it's it's on the verge. It's on the
1: verge of into I hate this show territory. Man, my, my favorite character is is his name Simon. The guy who was down in the bunker seeing another Desmond. life brother. Desmond. He's Desmond my is my favorite awesome. I love Desmond. I love as him well. so much. He's a much. great character. He's the lost yeah. Jesus.
0: Yeah. Yeah, See you in awesome. another life, brother. See you in another life, brother. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And he yeah.
1: has like the most tragic story of anyone. Oh, on it's the so show. bad. Penny. Penny. Oh, God.
0: Um, so yeah. And then we are still watching Godless. So I know last episode I was like, oh, we'll have finished this and we can talk about it. We haven't finished it, honestly, because we're both Kelly and I are kind of bored with the show. We've seen four episodes, and it's just not grabbing us. Like, we're gonna finish it, but it's one of those we're like. Would we rather sit down and watch an episode of Godless or anything else and we choose anything else? So, I don't know. I think kind of it comes down to, for me, I just don't think Jeff Daniels is a good actor. I have never seen him in a single thing that I thought he was good. And I know Dumb and Dumber is one of the greatest comedies ever made. It's hilarious. But he isn't what makes it hilarious. To me, like, a million other actors would have improved that movie had they been there instead of Jeff Daniels. I just don't think he's good, period. I just don't think he's a good actor. And so I'm not finding his character interesting or intimidating or anything. It's just... This show is just kind of boring
1: me right now. And that makes okay. me sad because I want to love it. Yeah, because I mean, he drives pretty much all of the tension. So I know. So if you're not and into I'm not him, getting. then that's... Yeah. yeah, that's pretty telling of yeah. how much you're going to get out of the show.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so I was bored last weekend... And I saw that there was a new stand-up set on Netflix with Fred Armisen, who I don't love, but I respect him. He does a lot of stuff. He's a very creative mind. And the stand-up is called Stand-Up for Drummers. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll watch this. What the hell is this? And coming to find out, like, he's actually a drummer. And it did a funny thing with this bit where, I don't know if it was in New York or wherever, but you could only get in if you are a drummer and so everybody had to bring their sticks and like prove that they're a real drummer in order to get in for the show which i just thought was fun Okay, because the whole thing is very inside like if you aren't a drummer the stand up won't mean anything to you the problem is one it just isn't funny at all i i watched i watched it for about 15 minutes and turned it off it was that unfunny yikes the worst part is that i don't know if he's been a drummer for a long time or what his history is, or what his talent level is. The whole thing comes across like he started playing drums a couple months ago and wants to prove to everybody that he's a drummer. And that's how a lot of the jokes read. Like he had a whole bit about like, is it pronounced pasty or Pasty, right guys? It was very much a like, right guys kind of joke. Gross. And it was Painful, so painful, so I turned it off after 15 minutes and felt like I had wasted my time. So, that's unfortunate. Kelly and I also watched the new Queer Eye series. And we watched all the episodes, so a little history on my Queer Eye experience. So, the original was out when I was in, like, junior high, early on in high school. And I liked the show, like, it was fun, A lot of... Everybody always told me that I needed to watch the show because I was very much a quote-unquote metrosexual before that was a thing because Queer Eye kind of created the metrosexual thing. right? And I was like that before there was a name for it. Like, and not crazy. Like, I wasn't getting my eyebrows waxed, but, like, I took really good care of my hair and my face and my teeth, and I dressed really nice. I cared about my appearance and how I came across. Like, that was my thing. And so, I felt an attachment to the show for that reason. And the new version, I think, is really great. In the trailer, they sum it up really well. Where, like, the old version for homosexuality, they were seeking uh, tolerance. Like, they wanted to put themselves out there so that the hatred would go away for gays. For right. And now, this new version, they're fighting for acceptance, which is... Like, we live in a world now where there are... I mean, obviously, there are still a lot of homophobic people out there. But there's more of a general sense of acceptance. Like, we accept that there are these people out there. But there's still that stigma that comes across. There's still that uncomfortableness that comes across. And so, that's what they're fighting for now. Which I think is, like... This is a really good time for a show like this. And beyond the fact that... I mean, it's only, like, seven or eight episodes and beyond the fact that like it's just it's just a fun show cuz like they do all the interior design and fashion and grooming and like they're they're all huge personalities that kind of thing it's a fun show to watch but it also is just a really important show because of the fab 5 as well as the folks that they're making over so the old version it was almost exclusively like 40 to 50 year old Overweight butch white dudes, right? And in the new show, they really buck that, and it's a lot more topical. So there are some of those guys. Like, there's an older he's like in his late fifties, and it's all in Atlanta, all in Georgia, which is also cool for me. So he's like a little bit of a redneck, that kind of thing. And that's the first episode. But they also like they make over a uh, like a husband with two kids, like, and he's like he's not fat, he's not lazy, he like. And they're like a lower middle class family and they're really Christian. And so they have a really good conversation with one of the guys, the guys the guy who does the design, who was raised Christian. And then once he started discovering sexuality, obviously felt really repressed from that because of religion, like that not accepted. And so he hasn't really been practicing. And they have a really good conversation with this dude who, for me as a Christian, really represents well my beliefs on the subject because there's a lot of like hatred and judgment from christians for gays of it being wrong blah 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 and his whole thing is like one it is not my place to judge anyone else period for anything and two the one of the most important parts of the bible is love your love your neighbor as thyself like I love every part of you, you for who you are, and I accept you for who you are, and that's all I want you to feel is loved. And that was really powerful for me as a Christian who, like, so many people out there give people like me a bad name, and it pisses me off because that is not Christianity to me. These, like, Southern Baptist folks that go out there and are picketing and, like, gays go to hell, like, that whole message is so anti everything I believe to be true about my religion, that it makes me so, so angry. And this was a nice difference from that. Sure. There was also one where they made over a cop. And so one of the dudes is black. And there was like a little fun moment in the beginning where one of his cop friends pulls them over. Cause the black dude's driving. He gets pulled over by a cop. The cop's being a dick. He's like asking for his license. He gets asked him to get out of the vehicle. And the dude, the gay dude, he doesn't know. I don't his name's like Camaro or something ridiculous. They all have ridiculous names. But Camaro is uh asked to get out of the vehicle and he's like pissed. You could tell he's like another fucking one of these racist white pig cops picking on me because I'm black. And then they flip it where like the cop is a friend, he's joking, it's a prank. But they have a really good conversation with the cop that they're making over about like The racism that's happening and the problems that are happening with police officers and Camaro, that's not his name, but whatever. (laughs) He also acknowledges that, like, just like some cops seem to be looping all black people together into being criminals, some black people are looping all cops together into being racist. And not all cops are that way. And it was just like a really nice. I don't know. It's just like. The show has a lot of weight to it. And it's not the frivolous, like, makeover the way that the original show was. Which still had value in the time that it was taking place. But there's a lot more depth to this that I really, really like. So, I super recommend the show. Um, Yeah, it it created a lot of really good conversations for Kelly and I as well. Which was surprising, given the subject. So, recommend Queer Eye. Also,
1: like, not to get too heady or whatever but go for it when you, when you were talking about um, your feelings as a Christian and feeling misrepresented by a lot of people like socially and like public perception of Christians and their yeah. their like feelings towards um, other groups um, and I know you know this I'm not saying this for your benefit Shay but for those listening just know that like everything that Shay was talking about that's how Muslim people feel every day. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and and, and that's, and, that's yes. every day for them and, like, almost yes. every interaction that they have with people.
0: And for them, it is so much worse. Sure. Because, like, for me as a Christian, In like, a different way, you see yeah. a lot the, – the way that people talk about Christians is with disdain now. And a lot of it is brought on by our, like, our own Christian, quote-unquote Christian right. people – doing these shitty things and us being looped in with them. The same is absolutely true with people of the Muslim faith. The thing that makes it worse for them is that it's, like, it is so much worse. Like, for me as a Christian, someone might hear I'm a Christian and then think that I'm, like, a bigoted asshole. If someone, like, there's someone that could learn that someone else is a Muslim and then, like, feel like they belong in prison for that. Right, like, like that's tag a pretty their big car difference. and
1: ruin their property.
0: Yes, like that. I am not having to deal with that. So absolutely, Absolutely. that's a check my privilege moment for sure. But the larger conversation is just about perceptions and like generalizations. And I really feel like that's an important part of this queer eye show that I'm I'm really enjoying those conversation pieces. So that's good. Yeah, I, I did not expect that at all. That's interesting. Like I was expecting it just to be a fun frivolous show, and it certainly is not. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I've also been cramming in some movies. So, I watched a bunch of Oscar-caliber movies, which I'll talk about. But first, last Saturday, again, when I was bored, I was like, what can I watch? So, I watched Cars 3. It's not good. It's just not... I mean, it isn't. It's just not a good movie. It's not funny. The story is not particularly interesting. Um, kind of the message of the film is about, like, getting older and being okay with that. Because, you know... Owen Wilson's dude, his car is like on the back end of his career, and he has all these new rookies coming in that are using all this technology to race faster and get better, and he can't keep up because he just wasn't made that way, and so he's kind of like having to be okay with that, and that's like uh, an interesting concept, but the core of it, it's just not, I don't know, it's just not an interesting movie. Like it's not, it's just not funny. The writing isn't good. I didn't care about some of the new characters. It looks fantastic. Like Pixar constantly is raising the bar on what they can do. Yeah. But it's just not a good movie and that makes me sad. I think I've only
1: seen the first cars and I remember liking bits and pieces of it, but like yeah. not ever being like, Yeah, this is a movie I would want to own and watch again sometime. Yeah, it's it's a mid-tier Pixar movie. Yeah. Like, it's not awesome.
0: The problem is, Cars 2 is probably the worst Pixar movie, Ugh. and Cars 3 is also bad. Okay, So it's like, when you start with something that is already middle of the pack, that's a pretty dangerous place to start. Yeah. Which is kind of how I felt about Finding Nemo. Like, I liked Finding Nemo, but that, again, to me, is a mid-tier Pixar movie. Really? And
1: Finding Dory, I thought, was actually bad. So this I is the hill like you're going to gonna die on today. What? Like the original Finding, Finding Nemo was a mid tier Pixar movie. Th-
0: okay. <clears throat> but that's the thing, man. That's the thing. Buckle I feel like we've up. we talked about this before. That's the <laughs> thing. The Pixar sets such a high standard. Like, it, we could go through all the Pixar movies right now. I would have a hard time not naming 10 Pixar movies that are better than Finding Nemo. That's my point. I'm not saying Finding Nemo is a bad movie, it is a mid tier Pixar movie, which still makes it very good. But when you come to the Pixar pantheon, all three Toy Story movies, The Incredibles, Monsters, Inc., A Bug's Life, Wally, Up, I'm Missing Several Others. Like, that's a lot of really fucking amazing movies. And Finding Nemo does not reach that to me.
1: Um, I think, as someone who works with special needs and children with physical disabilities, I think Finding Nemo is very important because there are not enough films that not highlight but show like that a disability doesn't have to be a disability. And because because of Nemo's like gimp fin, um mm-hmm. his small his underdeveloped fin, um I think like that resonates more with me than I think. I'm some not other going to disagree films. with
0: I'm Not going to disagree with any of that. This is not what is the most important Pixar movie. Sure, okay. This is what are the best Pixar movies. Okay. I talked and, and, and it like I talked a lot about this in my Black Panther review. You can read it on ShayHitsEverything.com. But that's my perspective. For some people, the message or the themes might be the most important thing. And they're willing to look past any other flaws because the message spoke to them so well. And if that's your perspective, that's totally fine. That's not my perspective. I'm looking at every piece that's fair. of a movie in, in quote-unquote judgment of it. That's fair. But I cannot disagree that it is a very important movie. Okay. And and I I think most Pixar movies are like yeah, that. Yeah, they all they have all, really good messages. They're all some element of an underdog story, you know? And I think that that's a really good thing to focus on. Yeah. Uh, So I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about these because honestly I have a hard time working up Strong feelings about any of these So I watched Silence I watched Darkest Hour The Florida Project And Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri So Silence came out in January So this was a 2017 Oscars movie I think it was nominated for a couple categories Like Cinematography and Maybe Score or something So this is Martin Scorsese directed Andrew Garfield, Adam Driver And Liam Neeson star That sounds like a fucking awesome movie to me and boy it wasn't so speaking of like the christianity piece so kind of the concept of the movie is it's a bunch of jesuit priests catholic priests that uh go to japan to try to spread catholicism and japan at the time was obviously heavily buddhist and there was like a buddhist regime there that you weren't allowed to practice another religion they could kill you for practicing another religion. Which sounds so these very were
1: like, anti-Buddhism.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it came across that way, to be honest with you. So part of the problem is. Well, that is one of the problems. And and to be fair, this is historically based. This this did happen. Weird. Not that specific events necessarily of the movie, but this world did exist in the 17th century. Like, the leaders in Japan would kill you if you were not a Buddhist and proved that you were a Buddhist regularly. Huh. It did happen. So, saying that it's, like, anti-Buddhist or anti-Japan, sure, but that's like making a World War II movie and showcasing the Nazis as being bad. It's history. You can't get mad about it. Right. It happened. So, the issue is, for me, not about that messaging necessarily or any, like, white savior narrative of a bunch of, like... Because they're not even white for one... They're white actors, yes, but they're from Portugal, I think, is the where they're originally from. Okay. But uh, them coming in and spreading Christianity, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure a lot of open-minded liberals would be like, well, they shouldn't have done that in the first place. Let them stay Buddhist, blah, blah, blah. My thing is like, why are more options bad? Why would you not want to know more about different things and make up your mind that way? That's just kind of my perspective. Uh, the issue for me is it's kind of a meditation on religion and like a personal religious journey so andrew garfield's character goes through like a lot of trials and tribulations he gets captured and tortured and all this other shit and he's kind of struggling with his religion so they're they the reason that they're there is to track down their mentor played by liam neeson and the rumor is liam neeson's character went to japan got captured uh and then he Apostatized, meaning he rejected his Christianity, adopted the Buddhist religion, is now living in Japan as a Japanese person with like a disdain—the same disdain for Christianity as the rest of the Buddhists okay. have. And so that's why they go there to try to track him down because they don't believe that this could be true. And so Andrew Garfield goes through all these kind of crises of faith as he's seeing what these Buddhists are doing, but also like because he gets captured, and the whole thing is like these. Japanese leaders are like torturing other people to punish him. And he's like, torture me. And they're like, no, dude, that's the whole point. We're torturing these other folks. If you want to save them, the only way to save these people is for you to apostatize, for you to give up your religion. And so he's like, well, should I? Is that worth it? Am I betraying God if I do that? Or would he want me to because I'm saving people by doing it? Or you could just fucking lie about it. That's his struggle, <laughs> right? And he—that's what he encourages other people to do. So he's like the the secret Christians. He's like, if you get captured, do not maintain your Christianity. Act like a Buddhist. That is fine. God does not want you to die for this. Right. It's, but but then when it comes to him, he's like, it's a bit different because I'm a representative of the church. Blah blah blah. Like so, that's his struggle, and that's kind of the whole arc of the film. And I won't like spoil how it kind of wraps up. My issue with it is never once does the film or he surface that no, it's not that the only way for these people to stop being tortured is for me to give up my religion. The only way for these people to stop being tortured is for the fucking torturers to stop torturing them. They put all the weight on Andrew Garfield's shoulders and that is not fair. And... If that's the world of the film, that's fine. But you have to at least acknowledge that that isn't true. Right. Like, that it isn't all on him. Because the movie makes it feel like it. if those people do die and he doesn't apostatize, that is Andrew Garfield's fault. That's the statement the movie makes. And I disagree with that so fundamentally that it really turned so, me off from a so lot of So much the
1: fiction uses that kind of flawed logic. Yeah. Like, the whole... Um like let's there's a robber in your home, and you have to pick which child to die, and if you don't pick, you're the one who kills right. both of them. like I'm no them. <laughs> no, like, no, you're the one with the gun forcing me to do it. Yeah, it's kind of your fault, yeah, not my fault. and that and I'm <laughs> like, not saying the, that they, that kind of flawed logic is so dumb to me. I'm not saying that Andrew Garfield
0: needs to respond that way because his journey may be different, his view on it may be different, but the movie should at least say that because sure. it felt a lot of times like they were going out of their way to not demonize these Japanese leaders and instead demonize some of Andrew Garfield's actions, some of Andrew Adam Driver's actions and later on some of Liam Neeson's actions and it just really rubbed me the wrong way. I don't know. It hmm. The cinematography was beautiful. I thought the acting was very good, but the the story and the themes like offended me as strong, but like it just rubbed me the wrong way. I did not like it at all. So okay. that's silence. We watched Darkest Hour, which is the most Academy Award movie that has ever been made. And it's funny <laughs> I watched the honest trailers. If if people haven't heard of it, Honest Trailers is a YouTube channel where they do funny honest trailers for movies and shows and stuff. And so in this one they did like all the Oscars. And uh So Darkest Hour takes place during World War II at like when Britain was at the absolute lowest moment and it centers on Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill kind of saving Britain, basically. And uh, the Honest Trailer was about while the movie Dunkirk was focusing on all the action that was happening at Dunkirk, Darkest Hour focuses on all the talking that was happening during the actions (laughs) at Dunkirk. Because it's just like, it's like British Parliament and... Churchill talking to the king and, like, all that. And it's not, like, boring. It's just, like, it just feels like an... Like, there's a certain vibe that a movie gives where you watch it and you're like, oh, well, that's going to be nominated for Best Picture. There's, like, an element of genericness to it, almost. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt. I thought Gary Oldman was really great as Churchill. Um, I don't know. It was just kind of vanilla. It was kind of a vanilla movie. Yeah. So yeah, directed by Joe Wright, which I looked into him a little bit, and I'm finding that all of his movies have a little bit of that genericness, uh, which maybe is why I haven't liked a lot of them. So he directed a lot of historical stuff. So he directed Pride and Prejudice, Anna Karenina, Atonement, which all are super bland romance historical dramas to me. He directed The Soloist with Robert Downey Jr. and Jamie Foxx.
1: Huh? The Soloist. Wasn't that... Is that the piano one? Uh, no, it's Jamie Foxx. I think he's blind
0: or maybe he's like mentally handicapped and he's like a violinist, I think, or a cellist. And he's like an amazing, oh,
1: whatever. Okay. I remember. And now. Robert okay. Downey Jr. is in it as well. It, it was a long time ago. I was thinking ago. of that period piece about the, the pianist. Piano, You're thinking uh, of the, the pianist. The, the, the pianist. Which that, that movie is amazing. That had, um. Adrian Brody. Uh, Adrian Brody. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. At the time,
0: youngest actor to ever win. Best actor. Um. So yeah So the soloist was generic to me He also directed Pan Which I never saw But it was like that modern retelling with I think Hugh Jackman played um, Hook But uh, yeah So the mm. I was looking at his IMDb, IMDb page The only movie of his that I really like Was Hannah Which was one of oh, shit I even looked up how to say her name And I already forgot It's Cersei. I think it's Cersei Ronin, I think it's how you say her name Shit I'm not pronouncing it right But she was in that as a little girl with Eric Bana and Kate uh, Blanchett, I think, was in it as well. The movie's fucking great. It's an action movie. Everybody should see, should, okay. should, should see Hannah. But anyway, it was a generic movie, period. The Florida Project, I was really into at first. I watched this because Willem Dafoe was nominated for Best Actor for, for his performance I like in Willem this. like Willem Dafoe. Yeah, he's great. So, um, Sean Baker is the director. He mostly does more indie stuff, like low-budget stuff, and works with a lot of unknown actors. He directed Tangerine, for anybody that's seen it. He does a lot of stuff that focuses on, like, the lower class, like, sex workers, kind of those, um, like, the 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 culture of people that are kind of, like, looked down on in society. He focuses a lot on those, which is fascinating. Um, so this movie, <laughs> I didn't really know that much about it, I thought it was The Florida Project, like, project is in, like, a task. Like, I have a project. It's The Florida Project, like, The Projects. Which right, I felt like... real dumb once I realized. <laughs> so, it right. takes place in this hotel in Florida. Or it's like a motel where it's a bunch of, like, really poor people that live there that are, like, trying to get by. There isn't really a story for most of the movie. It's just, like, everyday What do they do? And it focuses on a mom and her daughter. And the girl that plays the daughter is absolutely phenomenal throughout. She's like a very kind of a punk little girl. She's like six, maybe five. But she's like, she cusses all the time. She disrespects people. She's super funny and cute and like adventurous. She's just really amazing. It's a great character. The mom, I think, is a little less successful. I just don't think the actress is that strong. Um... But the whole movie is just, like, the two of them and what they do, how they get by, what this little girl does during the day. And that is really fascinating. Eventually, it builds to, like, it being more this mom being kind of an unfit mother. And her methods of getting money not working. And so, like, she has to do even worse things to try to get money to support. And it's just... It's like... She very clearly loves her daughter, but she's a bad person and she's a bad mother and she puts more energy into cheating people to get what she needs instead of just going out and maybe applying for some jobs. Like, she she would rather steal and con than get a job. And so that's kind of right. like the bigger message of it. Um I don't know. Like, it was, it's a beautiful film, and I love the subject matter, and the main girl is phenomenal, and Willem Dafoe is also very good. The movie ends super abruptly. There's a moment that I won't spoil because I think it's a film worth watching, but there's a moment where, like, the style of the movie completely changes at the end, like, the visual style, and it uses a weird like weird music that doesn't fit the rest of it. And then it just like ends and there's not really resolution to the problem that was set up. And I get why they made that decision, but it just wasn't executed that well. And it really like kind of ends the movie on a kind of a wet fart, kind of a feel. Cause I was really, really into it. And then that happened. So bummer. And then last night we watched three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri nominated for best picture as well. This movie was not at all what I expected. So the, the, the story is Francis McDormand plays a mother. Her daughter was raped and murdered months ago. And the local police force hasn't even arrested anyone. They don't have any subjects suspects. rather, And so she buys three billboards outside of town that basically like ask why they haven't done anything. And Woody Harrelson plays the local police chief. And Sam Rockwell plays one of the police officers as well. All three of them are nominated for Best Actress, Best Actor, Supporting Actor. And uh, I just thought it was going to be like a drama. And it's very much... I wouldn't call it as far as being a dark comedy. Because it's probably more serious than it is a comedy. But it's like borderline absurdist. Which really was weird to me. If anyone's seen Burn After Reading coen brothers film it actually reminded me a bit of that it's not as funny as burn after reading but it's like way outlandish and it's weird because at first it just feels like a drama like the circumstances are so dark and there are little bits of comedy there but like it just feels like a drama and then things start to happen where you're like no fucking way would that happen in real life or no fucking way would people react that way to something like that happening in real life and then it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and crazier and crazier. And eventually you just have to accept, like, okay, this is the world we're in where this sort of thing just happens. And the movie doesn't do a great job of establishing that. And so there's a like a kind of a break between the viewer and the film of like that disbelief, suspension of disbelief. But kind of like supposed to be that maybe that's supposed to happen. Maybe. Whether or not it was intentional, I don't know that it's effective. All right. For me. And for Kelly felt the same way. But, like, once we got into it, then it was awesome. Like, it's this really bizarre, serio-comic take on this really dark stuff that happens. And it's, I mean, it's an awesome movie. I'm not surprised at all it's nominated for Best Picture. And I'm glad it is because it's a very outside-of-the-box type of movie. So I'm glad that it's getting some recognition for that. Okay. Um, of the ones that I just spoke through, this is definitely the one that I enjoyed the most. It's not my favorite movie that came out last year, but um, it's definitely up there. It's it's very, very good. I'm a little bummed because um, we're recording this on a Saturday. On Sunday, before the Oscars, Kelly and I are going to watch Lady Bird. And I wish that I could talk about that because I really want to see that movie as well. But uh, we can talk about that next episode. And once I watch Lady Bird, I will at least have seen six of the nine Best Picture nominees. So that's better than most years for me. But um, yeah. Yeah, so that's all of what I've been watching and playing. Anything else from all you? Right. Uh no. Okay. <laughs> I've had no time. I've been working on a musical. Yeah, so it is, it is it's it's a lot. A lot of stuff. Yeah. But uh, I guess we can move into some news. So this is something we've been talking about a lot lately. About loot boxes, whether or not microtransactions, that kind of thing, constitutes gambling, etc. So the Air Sir B responded last episode and basically said, "Like we're we're good. We don't need the government to help." And so, as part of that, they have now added a label to games that have in-game purchases. That ha- it's like a warning label that they have in-game purchases. So the problem is, the core issue is about loot boxes, randomized loot boxes, and whether or not those are gambling, for, especially for children. Yeah, there's a very specific subset. That is a problem. Yes. And so rather than addressing that, they're making it a blanket thing where any game that has... Let me see. They have a list. Any game that includes loot boxes, microtransactions, DLC, bonus levels, skins, mystery rewards, music, season passes, subscription, upgrades, in-game currency. Basically, if there's any additive experience that you would pay money for, it gets this label. Which basically means... Every single fucking game that releases is going to have this label, which takes yeah. away the entire point of having it.
1: Yeah, which means the label doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. And so I've seen people online saying, yeah, this doesn't really attack the problem, but it's better than nothing. It's a positive first step. Allow me to respectfully diss a fucking gree, because this is clearly a move by the ESRB to say, see, what we're doing is enough. We're self-regulating the government. You don't need to get into this. And the government now could very well say, okay, yeah, they are taking a step. We don't need to get ourselves involved. And they aren't doing anything. This accomplishes literally nothing. It accomplishes nothing. And so the danger is that the outside forces could say this is enough and back off. So this to me is far more of a detriment than it is anything of
1: a positive. It's real stupid. (laughs) It is stupid. It's stupid. You only need those. You, you said all those words. I only needed three. <laughs> That's fair. You you are you are a much more concise person than I am. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. To the, right to the point. It's real stupid. Yeah. Speaking of stupid, <laughs> this is kind of insightful commentary you come to the podcast for. But speaking of stupid, net
0: neutrality has been a thing in the news oh. for a while. The government recently agreed to repeal it. There is now an end date. For net neutrality which is april 23rd so i am pro net neutrality kyle i know you are also pro net neutrality yes. most people that enjoy the things we enjoy are pro net neutrality i for the sake of learning wanted to see the opposing viewpoint so i just looked up like why is net neutrality bad just to see what folks were saying. I did see a lot of things that I personally disagreed with or that I thought were like kind of frivolous arguments of why it's good. Sure. But it kind of boils down to this. So on the net neutrality is good side, it basically is trying to maintain parity on the internet. So everybody has the same opportunity on the internet. And not parody, parity. Yes, parity. Yes. Yes. So... Without that net neutrality, as an example, Amazon could strike up a deal with Comcast and pay more to get better streaming capability than Netflix because they compete. So that puts Netflix in a position where, okay, either I need to also pay more to keep up or my service is just going to be worse than it was before. If Netflix decides to pay more to keep up, where do you think that dollar amount is going to end up? On the consumer. It's not like Netflix is just going to make less profit because of this. They're going to start charging more for that to keep up. It creates this internet fast lane where only the biggest and the richest can sit in there. And it makes it a lot harder for those smaller companies who are oftentimes doing a lot more innovative things. makes it a lot harder for them to keep up and to compete. So that is... The pro-net neutrality side. The anti-net neutrality side, this is just an interesting tidbit that I found out, which I did not know. Net neutrality came about in Obama's second term. So net neutrality has been around since 2015, which is not very long. So there's this kind of internet mentality of a lot of people saying... Oh, this big creativity boom that's been happening in the past decade, this flourishing of new ideas and small companies and people being able to take chances and experiment is because of net neutrality, because of that parity that it creates, which that's that ain't true because it's only been around for three years. So that I found to be very interesting. Also, net neutrality is regulated by the government. Getting rid of it puts it more into that capitalistic perspective where if you have money, if you have resources, you can make the most of it. If you don't, you need to find other ways to compete. That's just the way capitalism works, which a lot of people have problems with, which I understand. But people seem to dislike the government being involved in stuff, especially in business. And so not having net neutrality is a way to get the government out of the internet business. So that, I mean, I think there's a sense of validity to that. And a little teaser for hate of the week, people seem to rely on the government when they need something from the government and then blame the government for all of their problems in the same sentence. And this yeah. seems like an example of that, where people don't want the government interfering in their personal lives in their professional lives in their business lives. And yet we want to rely on them to maintain this parity across the Internet, which seems. Um, what's the word? hypocritical to me uh my core thing because i'm pro neutrality i think the positives outweigh the negatives my core thing is i think this all stems from a misconception about what the internet is and in this modern world how we look at the internet because i feel like it's still being treated as a luxury item it is still like a business and it in the world, I think that that's true. But in the United States, I don't think that's applicable anymore. To me, the internet is a utility. It's like my gas or my water or whatever else. Like it's
1: how you, we pay for everything.
0: Yes, you like an American home Hardly without internet uses access cash anymore. Yeah, and so I guess that's part of my core problem with this is. I think the government needs to regulate the internet because I think it is a utility. I don't think it's yeah. a luxury item. So, I don't know. How
1: do you feel about it? I mean, I, I agree. Like, I, I like if you don't have internet, like, finding a job is so hard. Um, I mean, you can't even go to school anymore without using the internet. You can't go to high school without using the internet anymore. Um, I mean, it, it has permeated every part of our society because there are benefits to it. Now, right. the part where that becomes a detriment is when it like it doesn't work or you have limited access and then you can't keep up. Like that's though but those are problems that could be fixed if the government were to regulate it because they would make it universal and sure, they would exactly. find ways to solve a lot of those issues. Yeah. Um and, and I like I I guess I'm not a good metric for this because I am so, like, wired in um, in everything I do, but there are, like, grandparents, like, generations of people who didn't grow up with the internet existing um, or even, like, the thought of what the internet could be, like, they're wired in, too. They're on Facebook. They're doing stuff, too, and, like, that's how they're they're using that as a way to communicate with each other and stay informed um uh and like it's everybody everybody uses it i mean they're like i don't have any figures but i have to assume the number of people who don't use the internet practically doesn't exist in yeah, the states yeah i mean states. I, I still think there there's probably a small portion of rural families
0: that don't have at least, like, high-speed internet, like, that maybe are on dial-up.
1: Right. Um, I mean, o- and then, obviously, like, the Neo-Luddites, like, Amish and right absolutely. groups like that obviously aren't using it. Yeah. But, uh, actually, there are probably some Neo-Luddites <laughs> that say, yeah, internet's okay. Because right. it's all, like, whatever the region-based, whoever, whoever leads your church gets to set all the rules. Right. So, I don't know, because I've seen Amish people with cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, same. So, I don't know, man. And, like... I don't, I don't know. Like I, internet should, it benefits everyone. Right. For like the people who don't have access to internet, they are falling behind the rest of the world. Um, and they're lagging to keep up. They're lagging behind. And that's, it seems like such a core part of how we interact with everyone and everything. Yeah. For better or worse. Yeah. Um, I just, like, it, it needs to be consistent and universal uh, in order, because that will only make things better for people. Agreed. Um, now, if if we were to do that, obviously it would not make things better for companies, Uh, for capitalism. Sure. But, like, and there's, you know, capitalism can be good and capitalism mm-hmm. can absolutely be bad. Competition drives uh, innovation. I, I've, right. I've said that before, and I firmly believe that.
0: I think that from a, from an idealistic perspective, capitalism is great. The yeah. way that it works
1: and, sometimes is not so great. Right. And I feel like there's a good middle ground uh, of government regulation and free market economy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that is net neutrality. Like, right. Like what we have. I feel like that it, it is a good middle ground. And maybe it needs to be slightly altered and adapted as things grow and change but like it's a great stepping stone for where we need
0: to go and there are already enough problems in the way that the internet works like a company like comcast or time warner really is like trying to make it a monopoly like they're putting forth you know trying to get bills passed that will prevent google from spreading their uh what's it called what's their internet service called something wire uh fiber google fiber fiber Fiber. trying to spread fiber and like because they know that that will negatively impact their business and they have enough pull in dc where they can make that happen like there's a lot of shady shit that already happens with the internet if net neutrality goes away it's only going to be so much worse and like allowed it's not even shady shit anymore it's just like they're allowed to do that and that seems really fucked up so yeah yeah.
1: like i've Issues with all of that kind of stuff, like ethical issues with how all of that stuff will go down, will likely go down uh, if net neutrality is repealed. Well, and I mean, and Uh, right now it is. I mean, April 23rd
0: is the end date. Unless something crazy happens, that's what's going to happen. So it sucks, and it's only going to get worse before it gets better. If if this goes through, I can confidently say that prices will go up. Data caps will be more stringent. It's going to suck for the end consumer. And I don't know. I don't know if hopefully we can bring it back once it's proven to be shitty or if we're this is just the world that we have to live in now. And that's that's a scary thing, man. Yeah. So maybe a little more positivity here. So Twitch announced <clears throat> that they are teaming up with the Thousand Dreams Fund for a new kind of program to promote Female streamers on Twitch, and so kind of the whole thing is uh, every they're going to be gifting you know five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, whatever here and there to different female streamers for like new equipment, for accommodations and travel to conferences or events, and just try to like bring some more attention to female streamers and hopefully get more streamers on their platform. Which like okay. So, I think this is a net positive. I yeah. want to make that very clear. Part of the reasoning behind this is... They put out a statistic that right now, female streamers only make up 35% of the total streamer population. So, 65% male, 35% female. And so, they want more female. I think that's a, that's a, an admirable goal. When I look at it, it is not me saying this is bad. It is just me saying, is there are there maybe not better ways or different areas where this could have a larger impact because granted this is from someone who rarely watches twitch but i feel like female streamers don't have a problem attracting an audience some of them do it in a way that i disagree with you know streaming a video game wearing a bra and being like whatever it's your body do what you want get followers however you want i can look down on that if i want but you can do it if you want um, and I'm not saying that's all female streamers. There are certainly plenty of play out there that are engaging and competent gamers and et cetera. But to me, because the viewer base is so heavily male and teenage male specifically, my assumption has always been that female streamers don't have a problem getting attention because even if they're not flaunting their goods, them just being a woman makes it easier to get teenage guys to watch you. So my only thing is not about, let's not try to get more women in games. It's just, is there not a different way that we can go about this that's a little more impactful than Twitch streamers? I don't know. How do you feel about that?
1: I guess, like, maybe instead of having more female streamers, try to brainstorm a way to have more female viewers. Because, like, the male viewers of female streamers are some of the biggest fucking dumpster fires on the internet. Well, like, yes. Absolutely. M- fuck most of those people because, like, that's nasty. Yeah. Um, And, like, but, again, you know, some female streamers invite that kind of thing because right. it makes them money. Right. And that's their prerogative. But there are also a lot of female streamers who don't want to have to deal with that crap. And they Absolutely. shouldn't have to. Um, and I feel like just a a more like, like, I mean, like you said, if most of their viewership is male, I don't, maybe this is their idea, like get more female streamers. And so more women would watch, I don't know, maybe that is their idea and maybe that would translate. Right. So I don't know. Like, but yeah, also maybe there's a better way. I don't know.
0: Maybe surfacing more female streamers will attract more female viewers. That's certainly a possibility, but yeah, it's more about like. I feel like it should be less about let's get female streamers more attention and more about let's get them the right kind of attention. And I feel like that's very different. Yeah. And I'm not sure that this current platform is doing that.
1: Okay. Um,
0: Okay. Kind of the the bigger piece for me, though, because I see like 35% female streamers. I would have assumed it was lower than that. And I'm not saying that that's good. Like, yes, a lot more women are playing games now than they used to, or at least vocally playing games now than they used to right and so but then yeah also the that- fact
1: like that you and i who are i i consider us to be reasonably well informed on this and most game related topics um the fact that like we look at that number and think oh i feel like that should be lower like that's also a problem is that perception that there are less of them than there even are yeah that's fair like i think that's a problem too yeah but one of
0: the things i was thinking because I know in the video game industry, like uh, from a developer perspective, it's way lower than 35%. I looked it up. It's actually 22%
1: of developers
0: are female. And that was my initial reaction to this. And again, it's not me saying that this is inherently bad or that it isn't a net positive. It's just like prioritizing. And for me, I feel like it's more impactful to be encouraging women to get into game development and coding than it would be like, Let's get more people streaming video games, which like to completely check what I'm saying here, I run a website about video games and a podcast about video games. I'm looped into this group as well, but like video game streamers, not sure it's like the most impactful job that you could have compared to something like games development where you're creating something like that. So that was my initial reaction is like, well, what, why, instead of how about give more money to, to developers and get more female developers involved?
1: Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's in a utopian society, totally. But in a society where Twitch also needs to, like, this is also an investment in Twitch itself. So it's like they will see a, somewhat of a return on this investment because there will be possibly higher viewership and... Like, like they're kind of that money is going back into the Twitch ecosystem in a way that makes sense. Whereas if and I guess the argument could be made if they were to invest in more female developers, that's more games, which can then also be streamed on Twitch. Mm -hmm. So there, you know, it would feed back in in that way, potentially. But this feels like more of a direct line into the Twitch ecosystem. Yeah. So that makes more sense. But yeah, in a utopian society, yes, it would be nice to see a company like Twitch invest in outside interests or out something that's a little further from their personal purview like development. Right. Uh, I agree. Yeah. And so I came across another
0: story that Facebook has a new women in gaming initiative where they are doing exactly what I said, where they're (laughs) now, well, it's less, I mean, it's some financial stuff like accommodations, travel, education, that kind of thing, but it's more about. Uh, Shutting a spotlight on them. So they're right. doing a series of videos, which I actually I meant to look up some of them before we recorded and I forgot. Uh, they aim to do a hundred this month and I think they had wow. like twenty or twenty five already online. Do you know how just long highlighting they are? we'll say what? Do you know how long they are? I don't. Okay. I would assume they're shorter if there's a hundred in a month. But right. they're just highlighting female game developers. And um, they're all associated with the hashtag she Talks games, which is cute. So, yeah, I mean, like, it was funny, like, seeing the Twitch thing, I was like, you know, this is good, but it's, like, maybe not the most impactful to me, like, for thinking of a a woman wanting to get into the game industry. That's how I'm looking at it. A woman wanting to get into the game industry, what's a larger, like, more impactful place? To be a Twitch streamer? Or to make games and i just feel like that is so much more satisfying and long-term and career development than sitting in front of a camera and playing video games and talking about them i don't know that's just that's my personal bias so it's cool that facebook is doing this and highlighting the women that are already there because this feels one brings attention to those male gamers that might look down on female developers and those minds are I'm sure really hard to change because it's the internet and people are the worst, but there's something there. The larger piece is highlighting these female developers for other women and girls that might want to get into coding and development and that kind of thing. And that's, that's a really cool message. So I'm throwing my weight behind what Facebook is doing more than Twitch, I guess you could say. Sure. Yeah, I I get that. Yeah. Uh, So have you seen the new PlayStation plus stuff? Yes. Yes, you want so, to talk
1: about that? Uh, yeah, Sony made an announcement that um, with this month, the month of, of March 2018, forever will be known in history mm-hmm. as the month that Sony uh, finished supporting PlayStation 3 and Vita uh, PlayStation Plus free games. So, PS3 and Vita games will no longer be included in the PS Plus games uh, starting this month. Um, so you'll still have access to all of your previous PlayStation Plus titles on those platforms, as long as you downloaded them on their appropriate months. Um, but they're not offering additional um, for those platforms going forward. Is so it like, this month? I thought it was twenty March
0: 2019.
1: Oh, you're right. It is 2019. Yeah. I thought it was this year. You're right. It is 2019. Um, Which, to me, that. softened the blow a lot. Like, it's a year yeah. away. Yeah, yeah there, there's another year of support for those platforms. Yeah, Good correction. I misread that. Um, uh, They're not offering additional PS4 games, but like Bloodborne and Ratchet and Clank are the games for this month, which are both awesome games. Yeah, and like (laughs) Like triple A games. Yeah, yeah. The Ratchet and Clank remake is phenomenal, and also some might call it the second best game of 2016. Some might me. (laughs) Um <laughs> uh, and like i mean bloodborne is a souls-like game that i think plays very differently from the core souls games like it's mm-hmm. a lot more your style is a lot more aggressive uh and like a little less turtly and deliberate right um so i mean there's there's definitely an audience that knows those kinds of games and like i played bloodborne i never beat it but i remember really enjoying my time with it and waypoint um uh, um I occasionally watch some of their stuff. I mm-hmm. find some of their personalities to be a little, a little grating to me personally, but I've been watching some of their Bloodborne streams okay. just because I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm kind of in the mood for Bloodborne again. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden this popped up that there's, uh, Bloodborne's going to be on the March um, month monthly free game, so I'm pretty excited about that. Um, this is a bummer because I think they're still planning on only giving us two... Yeah. Free games they, a month. They and now it's they, only on PS4.
0: They confirmed that at least at this time. They that might change if they get a lot of negative feedback. But that that's they have said that they are not increasing the amount of PS4 games.
1: Right. Which does suck because that means you're getting less, yeah. You're getting fewer games per month. Yeah. But maybe there will be more discounts and more exclusive yeah. PS Plus content. Yeah, and, and things like like that. more
0: high profile free games like Bloodborne right. and Ratchet and Clank. Like if they deliver two games, I mean. I'm not particularly interested in Bloodborne, and I played Ratchet and Clank already. But like, if they keep delivering those types of games, like that's a net positive. It do, it yeah. does suck because I feel like a lot of the recent games are ones that I've played. Like I think last month was Rhyme, and another game that I had already played. And so it was like, yeah. eh. you're like, yeah, I'm glad other people get to play them, but I already have. So, <laughs> right. It, um, it definitely does suck, and hopefully they added eventually add another game or make these games more high-profile ones, but you certainly can't blame them for this. I mean, like, I can't even tell you the last time I checked in and downloaded my PS3 games. Right, and I mean, like, no
1: new games are coming out for the PS3 or yeah. the Vita, so, like, yeah. at a certain point, like, you're going to what? Is, what is the actual player base? And B, like, are you just going to make the entire library free for people <laughs> who check in every month? Like, right. I mean, you have to stop this stuff at some point. Yeah. Um, and letting us know a year ahead of time is... Um, it's a little, that's a good show of, of uh, it's considerate, I should say.
0: Right. The issue comes down to now comparing that with Xbox, which, like, to me, the games that have been included on PlayStation Plus have been better for me personally than, one, than the ones on Xbox. But with Xbox, you also get all that backwards compatibility, which sure. PlayStation does not have because of PS Now. So right. when you compare those services direct head to head, Xbox's online experience is definitely much better. Their usability and the quality of the store is much better. So it's like the PlayStation yeah. Plus isn't isn't looking so great in a direct comparison anymore.
1: Yeah, I would like the I would like to see them like offer like a, a free PS Now game every month, but maybe it's only available for that month to stream for that month. Yeah, that would be cool to try that out. That would be cool. Yeah, because I haven't tried the PlayStation Now streaming service, uh, so I don't know how it performs on my internet. And Mm -hmm. so like doing that kind of as a replacement for the PS3 and Vita stuff I think would make sense. It would get people into the program more. Because I don't don't know how successful that program has been so far. Right. I don't hear a whole lot of people talking about it.
0: Enough that they haven't abandoned it, at least. Right.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Different stuff on the horizon. So,
0: Bethesda actually just came out uh, and said that they will yet again have a uh, their own showcase kind of conference before E3. And so this, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's more of a talking point for us. So, it's on June 10th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So, I got to remember to take off work the next day. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I just thought it'd be a fun talking point of like, what do you expect slash want to see there? So, part of it's like... They've released a, and this is Bethesda Studios, not specifically Bethesda GameWorks, but actually their publishing arm as well. They put out a lot of games in the past two years that we wouldn't really see sequels to yet. So, like, in order to justify their own thing, I wonder what they would have. Because I would say their one last year was definitely disappointing because there wasn't a lot of big new stuff. Yeah, so it was I don't know like what the VR what, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So what would you? I mean. I guess like it's fair to assume that Quake Champions will be there. It's fair to assume that uh, more content for Elder Scrolls Online, Elder Scrolls Legends, will be there. They've already said that they're working on a new mobile game, which could be a follow up to Fallout Shelter or like a Skyrim mobile game or something else related. So right. we already know that's all like known quantity stuff. But what would, would you like would for would them to show?
1: An Elder Scrolls mobile game, maybe like I don't kinda, know. like one of those village city builder simulator things. Yeah, the yeah. Clicker. The but like free timer. the free to play
0: and... model though that that worries me.
1: Yeah, I with their tr- I mean Fallout Shelter didn't have much of that stuff. Like yeah, Fallout Shelter is a really really good one of those. Yeah, games. yeah, it was very fun. A fabulous one. I don't remember if it cost money though. Fallout Shelter was free. It was free. Okay. Yeah. Um, so if they could do something in the vein of that, but like for Skyrim, I think that right. would be really neat. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, also, like Skyrim refuses to die. So <laughs> I guess they Skyrim is coming to our TI-85 games. calculator in yeah. 2019. Right. Uh, Skyrim is the new Doom. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I'm really I really I have to imagine that Prey DLC is going to be there. Right. Um, and this this is they been rumor teasing it. Yeah, this is a, like,
0: yes, there will be Prey DLC, and the rumor that I saw was just this morning was that it might be set on the moon. Yeah,
1: there, there's a video that they posted on the Twitter of, like, you don't know, we don't know what's actually out there or whatever, and the camera pans over to look at the moon. Okay, sweet. Um, So that, that's why that. people are like, oh, like moon DLC. Right. That could be fun. Sure, yeah. more Prey. I really yeah. like Prey. I would play more. Um Like I have the season pass for Wolfenstein, but I haven't played Mm -hmm. any of those episode things that they've come out with. Um, So I don't know. They they did quite a bit of Evil Within DLC for the first one. Okay, so yeah, they could have some of that. Maybe maybe they'll have more of that. I don't don't know. I
0: feel like I heard less talk about Evil Within two than I did the first one, though. And granted, most of the talk about the first one was negative, but it felt like there was more.
1: Well, it was was the the letterboxing. With the first one, that was the big news thing that <laughs> kept it in the public eye. <laughs> and actually, funny thing is, if you beat Evil Within two, you unlock the ability to play it in Letterbox mode. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, which is funny, kind of like a, yeah, fuck you, picky people. Um, right. That's cute. But uh, yeah, I would totally play more Evil Within two. I think I feel that the second one was more well received than the first one was. It's just right. It's not the kind of game that everyone's going to talk about. Yeah, that's um, it's it, it has its niche of, of people that are going to be interested and are going to play it. And, you know, as a sequel to a horror game, like, especially a horror game that got bad press because of letterboxing, I mean, think about it, like the player base for that's probably not huge to begin with. I was
0: surprised they made a sequel in the
1: first place because of right. the first game, so yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe that the DLC for the first game did pretty well, which is hmm. what allowed them to have Could the be. money to make the second one. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I I still need to go back and replay it, and I don't think it's going to be in first person mode. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would love, love, love to see a new IP. There was that whole big tease, like that fake tease about E three this past year, mm-hmm. about like the new uh, Bethesda sci fi game mm-hmm. that didn't wind up happening, and mm-hmm. maybe we hear something like that this year. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it was funny. I I normally avoid IGN nowadays because I don't like the personalities that they have there anymore. Right. But they did... They had a video this morning when I saw this news story about, like, what they would like to see. And so I was like, yeah, fine, I'll watch it. And they were talking about... Because when I think of a new Bethesda IP, a new game, potential series from Bethesda, I think of another open-world RPG. And they right. were like, but what if it makes more sense for them as a business to go into a different genre? What if they do, like, a hero shooter... Or, uh, free-for-all PUBG style. Or, like, something like that that's more in vogue. And it, that y- the face that you're making was my exact reaction. I was like, holy shit, please, God, don't let it be something like that. Like, if it's not gonna be a new open-world RPG, that's fine. Would I love that? You better fucking believe I would. But... If it is something else, that's fine. But I don't want them to, like, make a game because it's the hot new genre. That just feels like such a backwards way of making a new game. So, hopefully that's not what happens. Um, Yikes. But, yeah, I mean, Todd Howard did say last year that they were working on two new games that would come out before Elder Scrolls Six. So, the chances of us seeing one of those at this E3, I think, are very strong. Especially because a lot of this other stuff we talked about is, like... Like the only big game release is Quake Champions, which they've been showing for a couple of years. It's it's gonna it's a more of a niche kind of game. It's not gonna be wide mass market the way that certainly like Skyrim or Fallout is. So hopefully they can stick to their like announce a game at E3 that comes out in November. That would be awesome. And if they yeah. announce a new IP, like if it was you know if it was a who I don't fucking know uh, just a game that they don't normally make like a fucking third person cover shooter. Like, if it was that, like, I think they could make a good one of those if they announced that and it came out in November. I'd be pretty pumped about that. Yeah, I'd play it. I personally, even though I love their announce and it comes out the same year thing that they try to do. Elder Scrolls 6 isn't coming out this year. I would love for it to, but it isn't. I would also be okay with a trailer for Elder Scrolls 6. Because I want to know, because, like, I feel like if they have a trailer, there's the logical expectation that, like, it should come out in 2019. Or like spring twenty twenty? Like it's not like three, four years away. So if I got a trailer I would at least know that
1: it's, it's
0: close ish. Yeah. So I would it, I would love I,
1: that. I kinda wonder like what an Elder Scrolls six would look like. Because like they, they tried like they kind of fine tuned some of the aiming controls. Like Fallout Four is the best feeling first person Fallout game or first person Bethesda game to play, other than like Doom. Um it's like the best feeling one of those to play. And they tried stuff with the settlement system and most people seem to enjoy that. It was kinda optional. So I wonder like what kind of experimental things they would tack on to an Elder Scrolls six.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean I could see them implementing some of the stuff they learned from Fallout Four, like a bit more focus on the main narrative. Yeah. Cause I wouldn't say that that was the main draw of Fallout Four either, but it was better than Skyrim's, so I could see them focusing a little more on
1: that. And um, yeah, the I customization
0: I think would be cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, customization like for weapons and stuff. Yeah, and even cool. armor pieces and things yeah, like that. Yeah, maybe maybe reworking some of the crafting from Skyrim, like like armor and weapon crafting, and, like expanding upon that, and kind of reworking some of the spell crafting that was yeah. in. Skyrim as well, um, yeah, that that could be cool. And I mean, I think the
0: common talk is that it will either be in Valenwood or in Elsewhere, which I think are both really cool. I would options. love Elsewhere. Yeah, so I, I mean, I wanna, I wanna play the next Elder Scrolls. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, of course. And I'd rather play it sooner rather than later, personally. <laughs> I know that's selfish of me, but sure. Yeah. Uh, so. The studio heads at Sledgehammer, makers of recent Call of Duty World War II, have left the studio, but they are staying with Activision. So this came out last week. Glenn Schofield and Michael Condry. So they founded the company in 2009. They had worked at EA with Visceral, making the first Dead Space game, and left the studio after the first Dead Space to create Sledgehammer Games they helped Infinity Ward work on Modern Warfare 3, and then they had their own Call of Duty in Advanced Warfare and then World War 2. So those are the only games they've made. Schofield and Condry, like they haven't said, if the two of them are going to stay together, if they're going to be joining an existing studio or starting a new one, what they're going to be working on. We just know that they're staying with Activision, and that Sledgehammer will continue to work on Call of Duty games moving forward. So... I, I mean, I think this is probably cool. They I mean, I feel like especially with Dead Space, they proved that they can do something unique and cool. Because, I mean, Dead Space to me, that's like in my top 20 games of all time. Yeah. And um, what they've been able to do with Call of Duty, I think, is good. Advanced Warfare, I didn't really care because I was done with COD. But by all accounts, it was one of the better recent ones. And then World War Two like, it was not awesome. But that was more that it's a Call of Duty game and what they were trying to do with the Call of Duty game than it was about it being a yeah. World War II game. They did
1: like, cool experimental stuff with the multiplayer that I don't think panned out all that yeah, well. Yeah. But it was at le- they like they at least tried some different stuff yeah. with Call of Duty. Right. So like, they're, not, I don't know. they're not afraid to experiment, for better or worse. I'm I'm interested to see what they might
0: turn out next. Next, I, I would assume that they're going to be working on AAA games and they're not going to go do some like indie stuff. But who who knows. On the opposite side of the aisle, story came out about the next Battlefield game, which this is rumor at this point, but it comes from GamesBeat, which I guess has a really strong track record with these types of rumors and the validity of them. It says that the next Battlefield game will be World War II, surprising no one, uh, right. and that it, it is actually called Battlefield Five V, and um, that there is currently no. Bad Company
1: 3 in development, which is a bummer because Bad Company 2 was awesome. I know. I cannot believe they haven't fucking made Bad Company 3. Yeah. And I I think it's more about... Everyone has been clamoring for it. But that's
0: the thing. I think it's the way that EA looks at games. They want to make additive experiences that are multiplayer-focused... And that wasn't Battlefield 3. Like, its multiplayer was fine compared to the other Battlefields, but it was about the story of the game, the actual single-player portion. And that they do not give a fuck about that anymore. Well, fuck (laughs) them! I mean, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that's why (laughs) they aren't working on Bad Company 3. So, I mean, none of this is surprising at all, but worth mentioning. And again, I rarely like to talk about rumor mill stuff, but this seems so obvious that I feel like it's not even a rumor. I'm waiting for them to... To, to say it, so... I don't know. I could be interested in a World War II Battlefield. I really wanted to like Battlefield 1 more than I did. It's just multiplayer games. I just don't like multiplayer shooters, and that makes it really hard to get fully
1: into a game like this. Yeah, I would, just, I would always, always rather play a single-player shooter. Totally agree. And I love single-player shooters. I love them, love them, love them to yep. death. Yep. There need to be more of them.
0: Yep, totally agree. Uh, so... Sad news, David Jaffe's studio, the Bartlett Jones Supernatural Detective Agency, has officially closed. So we talked about this a couple episodes ago, that they had laid off like a huge percentage of their workforce after Drawn to Death didn't set the world on fire. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like maybe they shouldn't have made that game. Yeah, and I mean, that was their only game that they had made, Uh, and so he recently announced on Twitter that they are actually closing. So obviously, it's very sad. We don't want people to lose their jobs this is not surprising news. That I mean, game when you make a was game like
1: that. You know what's going to happen. Yeah.
0: I mean, there are hundreds of games I did not play in 2017, but of the games I did play, D- Drawn to Death was the worst game that I played. So it was bad. Uh, just an interesting tidbit. Apparently, they were working on an Iron Man VR game. They had not yet pitched it to Marvel, so they weren't like it wasn't full go, but they were building it to try to pitch it. Which, like, that could be a cool VR game, an Iron Man game. That could, so yeah. I thought that was that interesting. could be neat. And then we got a new trailer for the Harry Potter mobile game that we talked about last episode Hogwarts Mystery, which is a stupid Ooh. generic title. So the game comes out in the spring. And in the trailer, they showed some, like, dialogue stuff, spell casting, potion making, a little more of the gameplay than that original launch or uh, announcement trailer. I was very unimpressed. By this trailer. I think it actually looks kind of terrible. It's a mobile game, dude. I know. But there was that moment where I was like, yeah, Harry Potter like, oh, this could be cool. And it looks really shitty. But it's also a Harry Potter mobile game. And so I
1: have to at least try it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, dude, I'm still playing Animal Crossing. So I, you were playing Animal Crossing as we low. were
0: preparing for this episode. You were yeah. playing Animal Crossing. You're playing Animal Crossing right now. <laughs> I see you looking at your phone. <laughs> we talked about it, and I was like, oh, maybe I should check on my flowers.
1: Nah, I'm going to put the phone down. Uh,
0: and then last two things are just release dates. So Detroit Become Human is a uh, release date, May 25th, which I'm shocked by. This, like I thought for sure this was a going to be pushed to 2019
1: kind of game. And no, it's coming out in like three months, which is just nuts. I mean, the demos they have showed at past conferences and stuff seem like very complete segments of the game. See, but so. they've also
0: been really bad. So I was hoping maybe oh, that they I were going to change. I think people have been oh, unduly man. harsh on them. Ugh,
1: but just the dialogue is painful. Yeah, It's a David Cage game. You know what you're going to get. Right, a bad game. So, also...
0: (sighs) (laughs) No, that's cool. No, I'm glad... I am not particularly interested in this. I'm interested in it conceptually, but I will not be buying it to start. If it gets great reviews, awesome, I might check it out. But I am excited for it to come out because I know you're excited about it. I am definitely really... Curious to hear about the game Like I will want you to talk about it On the podcast People are going to tear it apart And that like Okay but This goes back to our whole conversation about it About like appreciating the ideas And not necessarily the execution Right, That's fine like if that's how you want to look at it that's fine But if other people want to say like This part doesn't work therefore it is bad I think that's fair too
1: I mean I can't (laughs) say anything To refute any of that Right so but, but I, totally understand.
0: I, I totally understand your perspective, too. Uh, and then finally, Avengers Infinity War moved up a week. I'm not sure why this happened, but it was originally coming out, I think, on May 4th. And now it's coming out on April 27th. So, cool. I'll go see it a week earlier. That's fine with me. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, Marvel it comes movies! Out on, it, it
1: comes out on Musical Weekend now. It was going to come out the uh, week after Musical, but this mm. is Performance Weekend. So I can't yeah. see it on opening weekend. Yeah,
0: that sucks. Not I that won't. I
1: really cared that much anyways. Yeah,
0: I hear you. So, okay. Before moving into hate of the week. Uh, so, my game of the year post is up. It took a long ass time. Think's fucking 10,000 words. That was it's a big it's a doozy. So I went back to doing some categories. So I have best looking game, best setting, best music, best characters, best story, and then my top ten. I'm not going to like walk through everything here. If you're interested, you should go read it. Even if you're not interested, you should go read it. Anyway, please. Shehitseverything.com. Yeah. But uh, similar to how we did a couple episodes ago with you through your top ten, I just wanted to at least lay out my top ten for people that don't know how to read can at least hear what it is. So number ten, I had Pyre which I've talked about a lot of wanting to like the game more than I did and really appreciating. I mean, it shows up a lot in all those categories because I really appreciate all those little bits and pieces. They didn't like come together for me a hundred percent, but I appreciate those little pieces enough that like I wanted it to be on the list. It was that kind of thing. Assassin's Creed origins is number nine, which again is just a very solid game in every category. I really enjoyed my time with it. I am still encouraged to go back and play more of it despite putting over 50 hours And open world games not typically being my jam. Yeah. Number eight is What Remains of Edith Finch, which I thought really went under the radar a lot in like superlative discussions. I think those little vignettes that it does are so inventive and interesting in their unique ways. I don't think it ties into the main narrative of like the history of this house, the history of this family. I don't really think you get a good resolution to that. But those bits and pieces, like I still have vivid memories of so many of them. Yeah, it's
1: more or it is less. Than the sum of its parts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: like, <laughs> that that's overly harsh. But yes, right. you're right. Um,
0: number seven is Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age. So, I've thought about this a lot over the years. Of, like, HD remasters. Like, should they qualify? Blah, blah, blah. And my core thing is just, like... These are the ten favorite games that I play this year. If a HD remaster is one of those, then it's one of those. Yeah. And I try to give, like, the advantage to new games. Because, like say the journey hd that came out on ps4 well i played the original journey a year earlier so the hd was impact like less impactful the graphics weren't improved that much nothing about it changed so that new experience might not have been amazing but something like the zodiac age with one of my favorite final fantasy games unequivocally the most underrated final fantasy game as we've discussed it improves so many areas, just quality of life stuff, like being able to run it 2x, 4x. It they re-recorded all the music. Um, graphically, it's not going to like blow you away, but it's definitely much improved. The cutscenes yeah. in particular look really awesome. The textures are better in general. Uh, I mean, it doesn't fix some of the problems with the story. Vaughn is still annoying, but like... Like, the new it, Zodiac job system. Yeah, that's great. It took it, it took some adjusting to it first, but I really liked yeah. it. So, I mean, it was just like, when I thought about my favorite games this year, that was one of them. And so, I slotted it in at a spot where it was below games. I mean, it sounds obvious, but it was below new games that I loved. Because, like, those three games below it, I loved parts of them, but, like, they didn't blow me away like some of these other ones did. Sure. So number six is South Park Fractured Butthole, And Stick of Truth was my game of the year in 2014. This game, I think, does a lot of things better. Like, the combat is better. But it's kind of that diminishing returns of going back and you're still in South Park. It's still the same characters. It's the same type of jokes. And it just didn't hit as hard. But I still loved all my time with it. It's an awesome game. Yeah, I still need to play it. It's on my shelf. Yeah. And then number five, which... This was the one I struggled with the most. I put Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild at five. And so this is similar to what um, Zodiac Age of like, I, it felt like it belonged in my top 10 because there's so much about it that's amazing. But where does it justify being? Because I have so many problems with the game too. And just when I look at the things that it does right about its open world structure, the sense of discoverability and the openness and that just like, scale that other games can't do it just like i don't know it makes me want to co- go back and keep playing it despite hating some of the mechanics and the rain and the lightning storms and the shitty ui and the kind of tedious puzzles and all those stuff the stu- things that like make me feel like i don't want to play it when i'm not playing it i want to give it another shot you know and so yeah the Part of the reason it landed so high on the list is, like, if it fixed some of those small problems, like, if the weapon degradation system maybe worked differently, if the UI was a little bit better, this would be my game of the year by a mile. And it's because of those little things that it kind of dropped back on the list. Right. How long has it been since you played it? Um, Three weeks. I played it a little bit when we went to Blue Ridge with the my uh, in-laws. And I had a good time with it.
1: Okay. Why? Why? Why do you ask? Like, if it has been a while since you played it, then I could see why it would make your top (laughs) ten. No, I (laughs) thought about this a lot. And
0: and for, because when I went through the list, like for a while, because for a while Zodiac Age wasn't on my list at all. And I had Breath of the Wild, like, below What Remains of Edith Finch, like at like number nine spot. And I it just kind of kept moving up and the highs are so much higher than in any of those other games that this is the spot where it felt right. And I actually had it at number four until recently when I played Rhyme, which is my number four game. And so okay. Rhyme has a lot of technical issues. They're not, they're not significant. Like the frame rate's not great the some of the mechanics are less than interesting like the platforming is not awesome but the story that it tells is so engrossing and impactful and it's music and the visuals and the world are so gorgeous and like i, I mean i was crying at the end like it affected me greatly and was just a very special game for me this year that i was like that game needs to be quite high on my list despite it being a much smaller game than some of the others and having some of those technical limitations it was awesome Number three is Uncharted: Lost Legacy, which we've talked about a lot, and I might even like it more than Uncharted Four, which was my game of the year last year. It's more about this game was just an amazing year in video games. Like, cause yeah. in another year, like this would be Lost Legacy would be my game of the year. Um, it's just, I mean, it's amazing in every category. The characters are so well written, voice acting, and the motion capture are amazing. The The visuals are absolutely stunning and like its scale is smaller and you go fewer places than previous Uncharted games. But because of that, if the areas feel more well developed, I don't know. It's just the open world area or I guess like open environment area is really great iteration on what Uncharted has done in the past. And I hope they continue to experiment with that. It's a fucking good game. Number two, which was my number one un literally until I wrote my top 10 Uh is Horizon Zero Dawn. Which, I mean, I, I played that in February, and I finished it in, like, March, and after that, I was like, every every time I played a new game, I was like, nope, Horizon's still number one, still number one, still number one, until I played my now number one game. And even as I was writing, like, I was going back and forth, because there's so many positives and negatives on either side. And, I mean, talking about with, um, what is it, Frozen Wilds, how that highlights some of those negative pieces, some of the movement around the space is not amazing, um, I think that the game is absolutely gorgeous from a technical level and art design level. The characters, I don't love the look of so much. They have that kind of uncanny valley in the face where they look like soulless androids that are about to murder you. Yeah. But, like, the armor design is so well... fucking awesome. Well, <laughs> and like, the, the robot creatures, like, it's so inventive. And the, I, I, the combat can be a little tedious, like, certain enemies battles take like 10 minutes and that can feel a little tedious but they're so involved and so much strategy in there that is really satisfying to take down like one of those big t-rex ones even when you're fighting the seventh one it still feels so fucking cool to finally take it down um so yeah and then my final number one game is super mario odyssey and this just really comes down to the positives outweighing the negatives more than in horizon I never got bored with Super Mario Odyssey's gameplay, whereas sometimes I got a little bored with the mechanics and the fighting and the exploration in Horizon. And, I mean, Super Mario, it's, like, lack of cohesive aesthetic is kind of... It's aesthetic, and I think it totally works. It's such a weird game in so many ways for Nintendo to make that I really love. The music is really great, and, like, it switches back and forth between the traditional, like orchestral mario music and then when you go to the side scrolling portions it makes it like pixelated or like uh like 16-bit style chip toony which i think is just a really cool touch i don't know like super mario galaxy the first one is one of my favorite games ever made super mario odyssey doesn't quite reach those highs but it's so well polished in every single category and it's a bit like when we talk about these Best Picture movies of like, well, you you play, you're, you play watch the movie and you're like, I just know that's going to be nominated for Best Picture. It's a little bit like that with Super Mario Odyssey. Like, it's not generic or vanilla, but you just play it and you're like, I just know that this is one of the most overall best games of the year. And that just kind of, when I was writing my list... I just kept having reservations about Horizon in the number 1 spot and I just I just didn't have her- reservations about Mario Odyssey. So hmm. that's my list. I feel very good about it and I'm right. glad that I waited until March cuz it allowed me to put some more time into some other games like, you know, Assassin's Creed and Rime that I right. wouldn't have otherwise and played a couple more hours of Pyre that made me feel better about it. So I'm glad that I took my time with it and yeah. man, 2017, what a fucking strong year for video games. A lot of really good games. Yeah. Um, so I don't have it done yet because I still have a couple more movies to watch before I post it. But by the time this, uh, episode is uploaded, I will have my top 10 movies of 2017, which maybe we can talk about next episode if we
1: feel like it. But, um, yeah, I was curious, Kyle, if you had like a favorite movie from this year. Um, what I wrote underneath that question was, (laughs) I don't even know what movies came out in 2017. (laughs) Did Dunkirk come out in 2017? It did. It did. Uh, let's say dunkirk <laughs> all right that's because that. it was really good yeah it was it was very good absolutely it was really it's good. gonna be in my top five yeah kenneth Branagh and a lot of loud noises yeah it's a good movie it's a f- <laughs> per- the perfect formula <laughs> did you see wind river
0: did you ever see that
1: no okay yeah i don't see most movies you saw spider-man though right that was this year no. oh really oh dude come on you gotta it's see not, not interested why you love spider-man but not like this version of spider-man I don't what know. What does that There's mean? Something about like his portrayal and the depiction of him and like the like the humor of the movie. It's just it was it's not me anymore, man. I don't know that I I don't know that I'm all that into Spider-Man anymore. That bums me out. It was yeah. really good. Cuz I I loved Ultimate Spider-Man. I used to like the only comics I ever used to read were like Amazing Spider-Man and the Spectacular Spider-Man. I read all of it. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't know if Spider-Man's for me anymore. Hmm. That makes me sad. I haven't been excited about Spider-Man in a long time.
0: I'm trying to think of what other movies you saw. Uh, Blade Runner. Blade Runner came out this year. You like Blade Runner? Oh,
1: crap. You're right. Yeah, it's probably Blade Runner over Dunkirk.
0: Yeah, that one's borderline. I I moved it up on my list, but then I've been seeing a couple recent movies, like Three Billboards, that I'm like, ah, I think that one would be above Blade Runner, so I'm not sure that it's going to end up making the list, but it's really good. Yeah. Okay, so we touched on this a little bit already, but um, might as well jump into some hate of the week. Hate of the week. So basically, for this episode, it kind of comes down to people blaming the government for all of their problems, and then also expecting the government to solve all their problems. So obviously, it's that kind of like loot boxes and the net neutrality stories that we talked about, but... It's also about this notion of, like, this hatred that capitalism gets, but they also don't want the government to be in their business. It's like, you can't can't have it both ways. It's kind of how it breaks down. Right. Um, I have a lot of problems with the way that our government is structured. The bipartisan, or not bipartisan, the two-party system does not work. It does not work. And it needs to change. I don't think it ever will, which sucks, but uh, it needs to. Um, I think... And this is granted, this is all coming from someone who isn't a politician, who isn't an accountant or a financial expert. This is just my opinion. I think we spend stuff in the wrong places. But part of the problem is like we're trillions of dollars in debt and we need to make cuts somewhere. And everyone knows this. And yet, when cuts happen, everyone gets pissed. And it's like, again, you can't have it both ways. We can't get out of this national debt. And keep spending the way that we're spending, which is how right. we got in this debt in the first place. I mean, and I, like, I totally agree with the argument that we should be spending less on the military. I totally agree with the argument that we should be spending less on our international strategies and support. And I, I mean, I think it's important for us in, as one of the most powerful countries in the world to be supporting third world nations. But like, a lot of the money that we're spending on that, there are a lot of problems at home that we also need to fix. Right. But like, I don't know. People get so mad that like the arts are no longer supported in schools and like teachers don't make enough money and all this other stuff, which like I totally agree with all of that. But where is it coming from is the problem. Where is that coming from? Because even slashing our military budget in half isn't going to solve a tenth of the other problems that we have. And so people like people want free health care. Where do you think that's coming from? Do you think it just is free? Why do you think it is free? Because the government is paying for it. So, okay, so you want the government to pay for all of our healthcare. That's hundreds of billions of dollars a year. Where's that money coming from? I I just feel like people
1: don't think about the repercussions of these sweeping changes that they want to be made. Well, and part of the problem is transparency in government. Like, people... Yeah, people have unrealistic expectations, but it's because they have no idea how any of this money is actually being spent or how it gets funneled or where it comes from. Because there's no transparency in government, they don't even let yeah. us know. We don't, we don't, we don't get to know. And yeah. I think that's part of the problem too. We can't educate ourselves when the information isn't out there. Yeah. Now there's is definitely a subset of Americans who do not want to be educated. They just right. want to have willful opinions. ignorance. They just want to bitch yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Like that's certainly. A large problem as well. Yeah. Um, but I think transparency in government, uh, especially in terms of where funds are going and mm-hmm. where they come from, mm-hmm. I think is extremely important, especially mm-hmm. if, like, it is our money that we are earning. Um, yes, I believe the government should be able to have some of that money so they could spend it on things that help everyone.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but more transparency in how that's spent. I think that's, yeah. a, a, that's a, a big thing for me. I am not particularly i'm not the most politically savvy person or um i don't i'm not going to purport to be an expert on how our government works far from it i Mm -hmm. don't know how a lot of our government functions (laughs) um but my my focus is very much on the social aspects of life Mm -hmm. um, than the economic and political aspect. so i i see social effects of political and economic problems well things that I view to be problems I don't know how to fix those things and I feel like the problem is most people don't well almost everyone has no idea how to fix those problems <laughs> I think that's the real problem that we have here is no one knows how to fix our problems Right. Um, and just a general unwillingness to or inability to be educated
0: yeah I also think that there's a big thing about... I mean, going back to taxes. Of, like, one of those proposed solutions... From middle class people, obviously. Is, like... The rich should pay more taxes. Spread the wealth. Do all of that. And, I mean, I have a lot of philosophical issues with that. But, economically, like... The thing people don't understand... Like, the people that make more money also spend more money, for one. And help kickstart the economy. But, also... People that are in higher tax brackets are already paying way more money, not just the actual dollar amount, but the percentage, the percentage of taxes that you contribute, as is proof from what I was saying this morning or Mm. about my earlier in the episode, like the actual percentage goes up as your finances increase. So people in higher brackets are paying more dollars, but they're also paying a larger amount of their own money. So like you want to raise that even more, like that's de incentivizing people from making more money. That doesn't make any sense to me. The issue for me is the resources that come along with making a lot of money. And grant, and again, like those top one percent people make a lot less money than you think. But talking about the millionaires and the billionaires, it's not that they aren't paying enough in taxes to me. It's that they have the resources to find all the loopholes to get out of paying those taxes. That's the problem. That's what needs to be solved. Because average Americans, I can't get in those loopholes. I can't create shell companies and offshore accounts and invest in other businesses to get breaks. We can't do any of that. So we just have to pay what we owe. These wealthy, and we're talking the insanely wealthy, they have ways of paying fewer or less taxes. And that's what... Like, it's not illegal. I mean, some of them, sure, it might be. But the systems are there, and they're not illegal what these people do. But that's what's negatively impacting and creating this misperception about rich people, quote-unquote, paying more taxes. I think that that's something that needs to be fixed. So, I don't know, dude. It's, like, as with most of the hate of the weeks that are, like, bigger picture, actually impactful. And not me just complaining about there being too many shows to watch on television. Um a lot of this is over my head, and I can only speak to my personal experience.
1: Right. These and are my per- problems that are so huge in scale. Yes. That it's like, like you and I, we can't really wrap our minds around yeah. the entire issue. Yeah. So Or any potential solutions, even. All I can say is that me
0: owing $1,700 on my taxes this year sucks, and I would like yeah. for that not to happen again. So hopefully it doesn't happen again. Finally, before we wrap up with some positivity. So I've been talking a lot about wanting to take a break, take my time, play some games that I wouldn't normally play, not feel rushed. I have a little handy-dandy list here of all of the PS4 games and some PS3 games that I own that I want to play. So this isn't every game I own because that would be a two-and-a-half-hour podcast on it's by itself. But I need some help Figuring out what I should play. So I asked this of Kyle, obviously, to jump out, but also listeners, if you hear something from this list where you're like, that's the one, let me know. Write an email to info at shayhitseverything.com. Shoot me a note on Facebook slash everything. Send me a DM on Twitter at shay underscore castle. Do anything. Let me know what games I should play. So here's my big list. Obviously, I need to get back to Prey. That's obvious. I need to finish Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age, which I have not done. I need to get back to that. So those are definitely on my priority list. But here are the other games. The new games, obviously. Celeste, Fee, The Station, The Fall, Crossing Souls. I also need to finish The Telltale Guardians of the Galaxy. New game I just got, Dying Light. Uh, Some old games that I've had for a while. No Man's Sky, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Agents of Mayhem, The Flame and the Flood, The Last Guardian, Witcher 3, Far Cry 4, GTA 5, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, the Telltale Batman series, the Telltale Minecraft series, and then smaller games, Bound, Typo Man, Virginia, stuff like old games like Darksiders, Red Dead Redemption, Hob, uh, The King's Quest, the new... Adventure series, Walking Dead season two slash Walking Dead Michonne series, Song of the Deep, the little Insomniac game that they made, Tearaway, Watch Dogs two, Mirror's Edge Catalyst, Zombie, which I got for free on PlayStation Plus, and then I also have games that I would like to replay, which may not make the final list because there's so many other ones. <laughs> But I really want to play the two Metro games before the new one comes out. I bought the collection on PS4. I really want to play Life is Strange Season 1 again after playing Before the Storm. I want to replay Stick of Truth after playing Fractured Butthole and get those trophies on PS4. I have the Bioshock collection that I got for Christmas that I haven't touched that I want to play all three of those games. So there's a lot, man. There's a lot of freaking games that I need to
1: play, and I don't know which ones to play. That is a lot. What game should I play? Um... I think the ones that of that list that should be near the top, I think you should play some of Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. But you do not have to worry about finishing it, I don't think. Really? So play until you're like, okay, I feel like I know what this game is and why people had such a great time with it back in the day. Yeah. I think probably most of the systems and the things you're engaging with don't hold up well. That sucks. Because so, so many I,
0: people consider that like the best game ever made or one of, and I have
1: never played it. I just feel like I need to see it through all the way. I, I would Play it until you're, you think you get it. Like, hmm. okay, I think I understand. And then maybe look up an explanation video on the story or read an explanation of what happens in the story. Just enough to prep me for a Red Dead 2. Right. Cause, Cause that's I really, think, I mean, I think you are
0: going to want to play red dead Two. Absolutely. And I mean, not, that's why I want to play red dead this year is so that I can play red dead Two and get all everything out of it. Sure. In addition to just, that's one of the few gaps in those like absolute across the board superlative games.
1: That's one of the few that I have not played. Right. Um, I just, I don't know how much you are going to get out of Witcher three,
0: I started it when it came out, and I played for a couple hours and wasn't really enjoying it.
1: Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I figured. Um, I mean, I've, I feel like for you, I feel like you should probably see through Walking Dead Season 2 and Michonne. Mm-hmm. And then play the final season. I think that's supposed to come out this year. Yeah. Um, If you're in, like, if you want to do something that will put you in a good mood, play Tearaway. <laughs> okay um
0: yeah there's just so many man and like part of it is I like to have two or three games going at once because it gives me options if I'm not in the mood for one I can play the other but I also like to spread out the types of games. So, like, I'm playing Frozen Wilds, I'm playing AC Origins, I'm not sure I want to jump into, like, a big third-person worldish game. So, like, I really want to play Rise of the Tomb Raider, but I'm not sure I want to do that next, you know? Right. I'm not sure I want to do um, GTA V next, because it's a similar style of game. So, yeah. I want something that's a bit different. Which, maybe, is that's why I need to go to some of these smaller games, like I got recently, or... Um, yeah. 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 And, like, I, I want to play the first two Darksiders because I have those on PS4. I really want to play Darksiders 3, and I want to feel like I am I know what's going on in that
1: universe. So, I don't know. It's just...
0: Ugh. Ugh, there's just too
1: much. Yeah. And if you're ever up for a challenge, do Flame in the Flood. Yeah, I'm really
0: interested in that. I got that on a PS Plus sale because um, I remember good. seeing some early access tough, stuff. And, yeah. But it's yeah.
1: good. I really like the aesthetic of that game. Yeah. I mean, like GTA Five is also just like ha- have fun with it, right? Like, so you never started it? Nope, at all. Okay, nope. I mean, the, I think the campaign in GTA Five is awesome. Like, they yeah. have a great host of characters. They like the feeling of going on the heist. They do that. They that's very they evoke that very well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: There's some good games on the list. Yeah, I mean in. Like I said, there are tons more games that I could add, but these are like the cream of the crop that I know I want to play. Right. So, it's still hard to prioritize just amongst that group. So Yeah. Write in. If you have a differing opinion, write in. Um, it sucks because I definitely want – I don't want to, but I will finish the Telltale Guardian series just because I have to see that through. I want that platinum trophy. So, that I will do in the next couple of months. And that just feels like I'm wasting time, but I have to do it. It's one of those – but all right, so I guess wrapping up, we can talk about some stuff that we don't hate. So, been a theme throughout the whole episode, but today I don't hate taking a break from the grind. After watching so many movies and playing so many games in the past couple months because I felt like I was forced to, I can move on from that and just take my time and enjoy some shit. I'm looking forward to
1: that. Yeah, I think that's that's a good idea. It's important to kind of <laughs> palate cleanse yeah, every exactly. now and then. Um, and uh, today, I don't hate finally working on my d and campaign. Damn right. Of course.
0: I'm excited to hear more about that. We'll have to do some check-ins on the podcast. Because obviously we don't want to spoil it for anybody playing it. Right. But uh, maybe like check-ins with some crazy shit that happened at your recent... What do you, What is it called? Is it a session? You guys call it a, s- a yeah, yeah, session? Yeah, sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, as I've said... Uh, Shay's everything podcast comes from Shay's where you can read some opinions on video games, movies, television books, comics, other shit that matters. So check that out. Thank you for listening. And Kyle, thank you for joining me. Yep. We will see you guys in the next episode. Peace out.